Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 788 with Adam Rosenbaum. You're looking for someone that's passionate about the brand, that's excited about fitness, that wants to get, you know, into, wants to build a community because, you know, again, very much like a restaurant business, boutique fitness thrives off the community. It thrives off the quote unquote regulars, right? And when people are loyal to a brand, a community gets loyal to a brand, you, you, you can do amazing things because it's the power of many instead of the power of one. So you don't have to fight upstream every time you want to get something accomplished when you have an entire community behind you. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Bebot is the next generation of point of sale. That's because it's mobile, it's in your pocket, it's fast, and it's so easy for your guests to use. Not to mention it's contactless, it's branded to your restaurant, there's zero commission fees. You can use this technology through takeout, delivery, and dine-in, and it integrates with your POS. Bebot, the contactless order and pay solution powering the future of hospitality. To get your first three months free, go to www.bbot.menu slash unstoppable. Procter & Gamble Professional provides a wide range of cleaning and disinfectants for your business needs. Get the cleaning and disinfecting products you need and the peace of mind you deserve. Not only does Procter & Gamble Professional make you cleaner, it also makes you more efficient. Donald Professional Pot & Pan cleans 58% more pots and pans than the leading competitor. Don Professional, it's clean, upgraded. This episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And Seven Shifts is trusted by over 400,000 restaurant professionals because it gives you the tools you need to streamline labor operations, communicate with your team, and retain your talent. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.sevenshifts.com slash unstoppable that's the number seven s-h-i-f-t-s dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free What's going on, Unstoppables? We have such a great show for you today, but just a quick reminder before we let you know who we're talking to and what's in store, please support this podcast. And there's a few different ways you can do it. You can use our sponsors and check out our sponsors. You can use the links of the tools and services that are being recommended on the show. Uh, a lot of the time we are affiliated with those tools and services and they give us a commission simply by using our links. You can share this podcast with Anybody you know who's aspiring to be great in the industry and the best way, in my opinion, to support this podcast is by joining Restaurant Unstoppable Network. There'll be a link in today's show notes. Head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash 788 and we'll have a link right there at the top of the show notes to hop over and join the network. And uh, when you join the network, you can literally connect with my guests and the tools and services and technologies that they're recommending and you can connect with hundreds of other passionate professionals 
who shared the same values who are, or restaurant unstoppable super fans uh, it's a support group so come hang out in the network and be a part of this mission to inspire empower and transform the industry so today's guest Adam Rosenbaum is going to be making himself available in the network just as a little teaser so if you enjoy today's show make sure you sign up for the network so you can connect with Adam and Adam has a great story he is a graduate of City University of New York uh, where he got his BS and he got his start in the restaurant industry in New York before he made his way to the West Coast where he worked for a a few different restaurant groups, including the Patina Restaurant Group, Crafted Hospitality, uh, Chaya Restaurant Group, and uh, he made his way back to New York City where he got out of the restaurant industry and was working in the fitness world uh, with Flywheel Sports where they were trying to implement a lot of the lessons used from hospitality to the the wellness and fitness uh, gym world. Uh, and then from there, he worked at this company. I don't think I'm going to say this right. It's either APICI, APICII. We didn't talk about this during the show. I'm not sure how to say it. He was only there for seven months, but he went, he went there before joining uh, the uh, meatball shop as chief executive officer. Uh, and I've been trying to get this guy on the show now for years. I'm so happy we're finally able to do it. This was a complete shotgun interview. I connected it was just the day before I interviewed Thomas Kelly and Thomas introduced me to Adam and we literally made this happen in, in like less than 24 hours. So it's a shotgun interview, but Adam crushes it. Here it is. I hope you enjoy it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest. He is the chief baller in charge of the meatball shop. Adam Rosenbaum, my man, are you feeling unstoppable today? Do you know it, man? Dude, I love that title, Chief Baller in Charge. Um, we just made that up. Did you? How recently? Like f- five minutes. So what, what, what's the point of this, this getting creative with these titles? I mean, it's just about having fun. Uh, I mean, I we can't it. take ourselves too seriously, I right? I love it. And I almost forgot to ask, are you feeling unstoppable today? I am absolutely feeling unstoppable. Yeah, man. Don't be afraid to get right on top of that microphone. Blast right into it. So um, I cannot wait to dive into your story. Let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? There's so many. I mean, right now, probably in, in, in light of everything that's going on in the, in the world, uh, you know, I've been talking about staying positive mm. in uh, negative situations. And I think that staying positive when the situation's negative is not naive. I think that's leadership. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because I literally just had a, a conversation with Mario Del Perro um, of Mendocino, Mendocino Farms. Farms. Yeah. Sure. We got together on a clubhouse and uh, it's, it's coming out of the conversation already. The power of language when it comes to culture. And I think what you did to have fun with your title, to, to remove the, 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 the seriousness, to have fun, you, you have to embrace it. You have to put that everywhere in your brand if you really want to walk the walk. Right. Yeah. Culture is everything. Without culture, your business is dead. Yeah, man, I love it. So where does it make sense to start telling your story? And I will preface the uh, audience. I did not know that this interview was going to happen until this morning. Uh, and I've been out straight. So I usually I give myself an hour to an hour and a half to kind of like get a good picture of how you got to where you are today. We're totally shooting from the hip. The meatball shop has been on my radar for years now. I'm so pumped to be here. So I'm literally just like in the dark. I'm gonna be pulling, like I'm probing. I'm gonna be pulling back the, the layers, but I'm so excited for this. So Eric knows nothing about me. It might, <laughs> I might not even be me. I might be someone else I posing as I me. Liter- that could, that could absolutely be the case. Yeah. I've seen pictures of you in the past, but like you could not be Adam Rosenbaum. There's a good chance you could be someone else right now. It's totally possible. But I trust you. Okay, <laughs> that's good. So where does it start to make sense to, to tell your story? How like when did you break into this industry? Oof. I mean, how much time do you have? Oh, man, I, I, was, I have uh, all night. Yeah, I mean, the, 
I never thought that this industry was where I would end up, okay. although I'm ecstatic that it is. Uh, for me, it was always a side hustle. Okay. It was a way, way to make money on the side. Um, part-time, I started super young. Um, I was 16 years old, washing dishes. My, uh, my cousin, Amy, who will hopefully hear this at some point, but Amy was a manager at a restaurant and got me a job part-time. While I was in school, my parents let me work. As long as I kept my grades up, I could have a job. Okay. So are and you so, a New York native? Yeah. Okay. Born and raised in New York. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, I lived in California for a little while, which is why the cell phone is a California number. But um, Gotcha. Yeah, so Amy gave me my first job, and it was always a great way to make money on the side. Uh, I could work nights. I could work weekends. You know, I was, not, I was never a nine-to-five guy. I mean, when I was younger, my mom was worried I wouldn't be successful in life because I couldn't wake up for school. <laughs> I lived across the street from the elementary school, and I was late every day. So I can't. Yeah, that's <laughs> my life too. Yeah. So I, I think that you know it 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 just kind of fell into this situation where like wow, nights and weekends could be a job, mm. and so it was my job. It was a job for a while, yep. and I did other things, but it was always a good way to make cash okay. quick. So at what point did this thing start to switch from a job to maybe this is my my path? Yeah, so it was around. It was actually around. You know, I, I don't want to get somber in the interview, but it happened to be timed around September 11th Oof. in New York. So uh, there wasn't a lot of work. I was I was in another field, thinking I was going to be an attorney. I was going to go to law school. And um, how old were you in 2001? Just not to date you. Uh, 23 okay so young yeah, 22 yeah yeah okay so i was young but i was i was like right out of college what'd you go to school like for? right after school i went to i went to school for criminal justice oh, okay pre-law all right so you know my path was was law that, that's what i thought i was going to do my father's an attorney so i was like yeah i should be an attorney i, I loved it yeah um and when september 11th happened there wasn't there wasn't a lot of work in new york period and it was kind of a really weird time especially for people my age at that at that instance there was this uncertainty around everything and what i realized was everyone always needs to go out and eat and drink yeah and restaurants were bustling at that time they were a place that was a community for people to gather you know cell phones weren't working uh there was a period of time shortly thereafter where it was only those nextel remember those nextel two-way yeah yeah um those were the only thing that, that worked, and, and the cell towers weren't working, so people couldn't get, get in touch with friends and family. And so what, what we found was they were meeting at restaurants and gathering around restaurants, kind of uh, you know, talking about what was going on. And for me, it was, it, was a jo- it was an easy job to kind of fall back into. And so when I went back into the restaurant space right around that time, I kind of had a daydream and an epiphany one day. I was like, why did I try to leave this? Why did I try to do something well, else? I think there's this, obviously, the, 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 the stereotype associated with the industry where that it's not a real job, that yeah, it's a for now job. For sure. And like, I mean, I think it's definitely, definitely something we need to change about our industry, for sure. When I say transform the industry, I hope that's one of the things. Yeah, so, I agree. I mean, it, it, is, it is a stigma that it's, that it's this temporary thing, yeah. right? Um, and for me, it was it was kind of like this wake up call. It was like, why am I trying to fight something that I'm so passionate about? I mean, I love this business. I love the social aspect of it. I love the hours at the time. The hours were perfect for me. I love the community aspect of it. I like the friends. I had a lot of friends in the restaurant business. So I'm like, why am I trying to fight 
what I'm enjoying. And I, I always learn from a young age, if you love what you're doing, it's never going to feel like work. Absolutely. And so, so that's kind of when I, that's kind of when I went full tilt and I was like, all right, now it's time to fucking do this. So you had this uh, awakening, right? That like, this is what I'm going to lean into this. I like this. This is, this is where I belong. This is what feels right. What, what changed in your life? How you started living intentionally this point on? Yeah. So at that point, you know, when I, when I realized that this is something that I wanted to do as a career, it was, you know, for me, it was about getting serious about it and then surrounding myself with the right people and starting to go after and tackle the right opportunities. Okay. How do you get ahead in this world? You know, knowing that I wanted it to be my career, I knew that I didn't want to be a bartender for, you know, that I didn't want to, not that there's, believe me, not that there's anything wrong with it. Sometimes right now I wish I was still a bartender. Um, but you, you know, you have to figure out what the next step is for you in that evolution. How do you rise to whatever role you ultimately want within the restaurant business, whether it's the top of the top or you just, you know, you want to run the marketing department for a restaurant group. So how did, to- you, how did you know that the, the right path to climb the ladder was going after the right people? What was this intuitive? Did somebody give you advice to go surround yourself with the people that are doing what you want to do? I, for me, it's intuitive. It's always been like that for me. I always knew that you surround yourself with smarter people than you and people that know how to do that particular job better than you Mm -hmm. and you you know it's not riding their coattails it's learning it's learning and learning is growing working it's getting in the right circles you know yeah i mean i needed to find you know when i found when i found mentors throughout the years that i respected and that i latched onto i i didn't let them go i i soaked everything i could out of them and i was that annoying kid you know i was that annoying 23 year old kid that was like Teach me about a balance sheet in yeah. the restaurant business. You it's know, so like, important, though. And like, and one of the things I echo so much on the show, and it's so worth bringing to the surface as much as possible, is like, don't take a job for an extra dollar. It take work for free if it means getting your foot in the right door to meet the right people. And it won't. And here's the thing: if you're if you're cut out for this industry, if you've got what it takes, you, they'll recognize that. They'll find a spot for you. They'll make room. But you just gotta get in those circles and do whatever you can. We don't put enough emphasis on the the value, the face value of the people you know and the knowledge that you're getting, and like all that stuff. It so su- far surpasses what your hourly rate is. Yeah. No. You can't. You you. I say this to people to this day. I mean, money, the truth is, is that money is, is never a primary motivating factor. Mm-hmm. It's never, it, if you want to be successful, it can't be. Is money important? Of course it's important. Everybody wants to make more money. But if you're just chasing the dollar, if you're just chasing the money, you're not going to find happiness and you're not going to be successful. You're just going to, you know, I have peers and friends in this industry that are, you know, in their 40s, 50s, you know, being a general manager, being a bar manager. Cause you know, in some cases that's what they wanted to do. And that's fine. In other cases, it's cause they bounced around for $3,000 more a year. You know, went from assistant manager to manager, $2,000, $3,000, little bumps lateral in salary. Moves. It's just lateral. It doesn't, yeah. you know, I, I stayed at jobs for less money than I was probably worth because I was still learning. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So you said that never the the motivating the motivating factor can never be money. What was the motivating factor for you? Reflecting back here at this time in two thousand one, two thousand two, twenty three years old, what was motivating you? I wanted to be a part of building brands and you know driving success through experiences and having a great fucking time doing it. Okay. You also mentioned that you you were trying to figure out what people to go after. Were the words you used. At this time, reflecting back, like who inspired you? Who were you going after? Uh, I had different different people in different you know different jobs throughout the years, but for the most part, they were 
and, and they were not o- always senior to me necessarily. Sometimes they were sometimes they were peers that had a little more experience in different areas. You know, I remember latching on to a. I had always I always had an interest in the bar, um, but I remember latching on to a beverage director at one of my jobs and just trying to soak up as much information from him, so that I could go study for my sommelier certification. Okay, and that was you know. I never knew. I never wanted to be a sommelier as a job. It was, it was just I wanted to learn more about wine, mm. learn more about a beverage program. So I latched onto him. I had a manager in a restaurant I worked at many years ago who was just amazing with people. Just had a you know should have been in HR, um, but was in operations. And you know this person just had a natural ability to change the conversation and the tone of the dialogue depending on the person and not just situationally, right? Because if you, if you want to say, you know, if you want to have a conversation with someone and if I wanted to have a conversation with you and I wanted to have a conversation with Ryan, who you all can't see, but he's, he's our GM here at Hell's Kitchen, but I might have to, I might have to say the same thing in a different way. Yeah. And I didn't learn, you know, I learned that. Yeah. That's not something that you naturally can figure out on your own. You have to understand that people receive information and people give information differently. So throughout my, throughout my career, it's just been about finding these moments of opportunity to learn from someone that knew more than I did about a specific topic. I still do that to this day. I haven't reached success where I want to be yet. It's not, it's not about, it's not about title. It's not about position. It's not about money. It's about never stop learning and never yes. stop growing. Yes, man. I love that as one of our core values. Uh, Good. It's the second core value after integrity is we're students of life. See, I did my research. Did no, you know, oh, I didn't uh, know that. No, I'm just, I was say, no shit. I'm just um, so I love this man. So we're cruising pretty solid at a thousand feet right now. I want you to like bring it up to thirty thousand feet for me. Get aerial. Um, what were the stops? The major stops you think the most transformative stops you took between realizing that this is your path. You need to learn. You need to surround yourself with the right people. What were the big stops you made along the way to, to 2010 when you opened the meatball shop? Yeah. So I guess the biggest steps were. You know, there's a co- there, there were a couple of pivotal moments in that in that kind of time span. Uh, one was when I made the decision to go into management, right? And when was that? From an hourly role. Uh, that was probably 2002. Okay. So about a year after you commit to the industry. Yeah, about so a, a year, cut. year and a half after. I'm yeah. assuming because you're massive pay cut. Yeah. yeah, massive pay cut, and that was that. That's a big step, and that's you know part of the understanding of money's not a primary motivator is being able to accept that and live with that and deal with it. I mean, I remember I was probably, I mean, I was probably making in the $80,000 range as a bartender in New York city in the early two, you know, in the late nineties and early two thousands, my first manager job was $34,000 a year. I mean, is it, you're talking about Huge. more, yeah, more than a hundred percent pay cut. Um, but I knew that if I wanted to progress in my career, I, ha- I had to take that step. And I knew that eventually you know, eventually you'll get to a point where if you work hard enough and you stay at it, you're going to make more than that bartender would have made, you know, ever. Was this somebody, something that somebody taught you or did you just know that you're going to have to sacrifice in the short term to go much further in the long term? I think it's, you know, I'd love to say it was someone sat me down and had the conversation with me, but I, I don't think that that happened. It might have happened. If it did, I don't, I don't remember that specifically happening. More of a, I just knew it. Yeah. I just knew that that's what you had to do. Yeah. Let's bounce back up to 30,000 feet. So 2002, you decide that you're going to focus on management. We're, like maybe take us, when I say the stops, like were there restaurants, were there people along the way, were there different restaurant groups you were working at that were teaching you things? 
What comes to mind as I say this? Yeah, so I worked for I worked for Be Our Guest, okay. which is a restaurant group here in, in New York City for a long time, Steve Hansen. Um, and I worked at a couple of those restaurants, had a few managers there that were pivotal in, in kind of shaping my growth. Um, Anna Marie was one who was a, a general manager at Atlantic Grill. Uh, Steve Scott was another one. He was my general manager at Ocean Grill. You know, these were people that were pivotal in shaping my future. I mean, Anna Marie, I'll tell you a funny quick story, but Anna Marie fired me. I was the best employee that they had, but I was a dick um, because I knew I was good at my job yeah. and it just made me a dick. And But that humbled me to understand what she did. And what she did was she pushed me to, to get better by firing. It's the mm. only time I've ever been fired from a job, but I still remember Anna Marie and I love her. Reality it's not, she didn't She didn't fire me because... I was a bad employee. She fired me because I was a dick. Yeah, but I mean, technically, you, you need to have that emotional intelligence. You need to be a team player. And that, I mean, you might have been good at the technical aspect of your job, but you need to be a team player. And if you're, if you're being a dick, that energy is going to skunk everybody out. You're going to bring them down. So, I mean, she, she knew this is what she had to do to kind of snap you into reality. Yeah, right? she said, I'm, do, I'm, I'm kicking. She's an, you know, an Irish amazing woman. And she, you know, she's basically like, Adam, you're fucking fired. You know, she's, I was like, I, I'm like, what? So this is at Be Your Guest? Yeah, So at how Atlantic long, Grill. How long were you there at Be Your Guest? Oh, I was at I was Be Our Guest a long time because I was there before September 11th also. Okay. Um, so I was there for a little while, and I knew Anna Marie for a number of years because when I was a you know bartender, she was a, not a general manager yet. So we've, we'd known each other for a long time. But she, yeah, she fired me, gave me that swift kick in the ass, the only job I've ever been fired from, and, uh, and I... Love her to this day for that. I love it, she, man. Yeah, we're gonna pull back the layers on this. I promise. I just want to get the big picture because I didn't get yeah, to do so the then, research before. Yeah. So then, uh, so so that was one. Obviously, another big moment for me was I moved to Southern California in 2003. Okay. I followed a girl there. We were dating at the time. It worked out. She's my wife now. We have nice. two beautiful kids. But 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 I we, we went out there as an unknown. Okay. So stay at thirty thousand feet. What was next? Well, California was 30,000 feet. That's why I'm staying there. Because that, you know, going to Southern California with a New York work ethic that I had in the hospitality space was game changing. My career grew leaps and bounds in California. I was there for 10 years. 10 years. Okay. So this is basically what brought you, this is what you were doing until you came back. Correct. And how many different places did you work when you were in California? Uh, I think three. Okay. What were they? I worked at Patina Group. Okay. I worked for uh, Chaya. Okay. And I worked with Tom Colicchio at Kraft. Okay. All right, cool. Now let's, now let's start pulling back the layers. Mm-hmm. So going back, um, be our guest, you also, you, Anna kind of taught you humility, taught you that you, you need to be emotionally intelligent. It's, under, it's not just enough to be technically intelligent, but you have to consider other people and how you're influencing people. Yes, yeah, she taught me to grow up, what basically. Else? What else did you teach you? And her or anyone else there? And well, you mentioned Steve Scott too. Oh yeah, I mean Steve taught me. You know, Steve taught me more about the restaurant business, about how it's a bit. You know, it's a business more more than just. You know, we don't just serve food on a plate and and you're done. It's it's a it's a working machine. You know, all the parts have to run together. When you're when you're kind of isolated in this one role as a server or a bartender or a cook or a dishwasher, you're kind of in your own space and you believe that your job is the only job that's going on in the restaurant, right? But yeah. Steve taught me about, you know, if you don't have a dishwasher, you, it doesn't matter how good of a server you are. You're not going to you're not going to make any money because there's going to be no plates for the cooks to put the food on, and the guests not going to get the food. So, he taught me how to understand and respect every position in the restaurant, and 
really understand why it's a well-oiled machine. Yeah, let me see the big picture of the system. Yes. Correct. Yeah. What were the biggest lessons on restaurant business that you that you gathered from him? Uh, that's when I started to. That's when I started to look at and understand a P and L. That, okay. That's when I started to learn about uh, the business of restaurants okay. instead of just the restaurant business. Any nuggets reflecting back at that time that have stuck with you to this day, as far as the numbers and the things to pay attention to that other restaurateurs usually don't notice or pay attention to. I mean, at this point, the margins in restaurants are so small that everybody pays attention yeah. to everything. But that wasn't the case for a long time. I, mean, I know this is only this is only recently where you're starting to see. Restaurants treated more like a business as opposed to, you know, this is a cool project I have and my family owns restaurants. But, you know, obviously the big ones are labor, food cost. uh, You know, those are the biggest ones besides your occupancy and your rent and, you know, your general overhead expenses. But, you know, labor is key. And, you know, good labor can make or break your restaurant and bad labor can tank it. All right. Anything like grander now? We're cruising at 30,000 feet. Go down like 500 feet. And really give us like 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 a nugget specific to labor or food costs or a, a way to really increase those margins that maybe might not be common knowledge. Too. Um, this is where I start to pry. Yeah. No, I appreciate the prying. It makes me think think back. But I mean, it's the you know, it's the a penny here adds up to a dollar, adds up to thousand yeah. dollars, adds up to ten thousand dollars. That's what it is. It's you know, I remember I remember learning what milking the clock meant. Right. And staying on the clock, you know, the the hourly employees like to stay on the clock for an extra, you know, extra five minutes. But you have 40 employees. Everybody stays on the clock five minutes, seven days a week. So what's the trick to to communicating to your team, helping them see the big picture? Like, hey, like, I know you need the money, but here's the thing. If you keep on milking it, we won't be able to give you a job. Like, yeah, but it's pretty much like that. Exactly like that. I mean, your honesty is the most important Mm -hmm. policy. I mean, I'm very I'm honest, you know, with my team to a fault, probably in, in a good way. I mean. I share everything with them. They, they need to understand. And I also empower them to run their business. You know, Ryan, who happens to be walking around us, it, it, he's empowered to run this restaurant. He's, you know, it's, we, we, we can guide him and we can help him, but it's up, it's, uh, it's up to him somewhat to make some of these decisions to understand how it impacts the greater picture of the business. I love that. Um, so 2003, um, you make the choice you're going to go out west. W- was that the sole reason, this idea that, hey, I have this East Coast work ethic. I can hustle. I can. Wh- what were you thinking? Were you thinking warm weather? I was following weather? a girl. Okay. No, I was chasing oh, a girl. Oh, that's right. The girl. That's right. Yeah, Always she, a girl. <laughs> yeah, she was, she was going out there, and she, we both tell this story differently, but since I'm the one talking to you, I'm going to tell my version. But <laughs> She said, do you want to come? I mean, she claims she never said that. And I said, I'm coming with you. But she asked me. Yeah. Um, and I said, yeah, I never lived. I never lived anywhere else my whole life. Like, I love it. Let's go to Southern California. So we went out there. And yeah, no, it wasn't a, it wasn't an intentional thing of, you know, I'm going to go make it out in L.A. It was more of like, Why let's not? try this new place to live. It should yeah. be fun and awesome. And I knew I had some friends out there and I got out there and realized that I could hustle here because there was not the same work ethic at the time that's changed drastically now and there but when i when i first moved to la in 2003 there was not the burgeoning restaurant scene that there is now there of course there were restaurants and there were named chefs and there but not like it is i mean la was not a dining mecca yeah in 2003 four yeah i mean that really didn't start to boom throughout the industry until 2005 six seven when the iphone came out with the sharing of social media, when people started sharing what they were doing mm-hmm. is when the, the, the market or the, the industry really started to explode. Um, but who, who you said you were at the patina group. Uh, was it Chia or Chaya? Uh, Chaya. Chaya uh, and Tom Calicchio. 
where did you grow the most as a professional during this time where you thought like now it's time for me to go back? Yeah. So two different, so actually two different areas. So, you know, from a business side, I, I grew the most at Patina group. I mean, massive company, you know, 70 plus restaurants, food service operation in multiple States. Uh, that's where I learned, that's where I learned how to become a, you know, a, a seasoned operator. Okay. What, what changed in you and your approach to management at this group that, you know, help you go to that next year? I think, you know, I was, I was always the type of person that challenged the norms and tried to do things a little bit differently. And that's tough at a big company. And I think in some regards, people, people at Patina group like that and respected that. And that certainly helped. But it also helped me because when they challenged or pushed back or told me to go away, I kind of sat and took a step back and looked at why, why maybe they said that. So it just helped me personally grow. So give, bring me to a time that you challenged the status quo and they pushed back. And what did you learn from that? I think that, you know, the best, well, oh, there's so many. I mean, I was at Patina for seven, you know, six, seven years. Feel free to move that mic around, too, if you want to readjust your position. Yeah, We're gonna there be you go. Yeah. I don't want to make too much no, noise. I mean, that's why I travel around these big clunky bastards. They're cool. It's like a real setup. It makes it look like I know what whole, I'm doing, too. Yeah, you set up a whole system yeah. in the restaurant. <laughs> um, let's see. Go. Uh, when did I, cha- I mean, I challenged all the time. Uh, I think, you know. Probably a good example is uh, we had a we we had an event that was supposed to take place without going into too much detail because I don't want to I don't want to throw someone under the bus. But without uh, we had an event, we we had an event that was going on. It's like fifteen hundred people, seventeen hundred people catering event. And they had this protocol for, you know, the way the food was going to come out, the way the food was going to get fired. And I, I I had a better way. You know, I thought I had a better way. And I suggested that and, you know, they said, they said, no, 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 you know, and I, I didn't understand. And then I watched, and this was the first event that I did of that size, you know, that many people synchronized serving, you know, trying to serve 17, 1600, 1700 people in like eight minutes. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I got this. And it was, it was not an ego thing. It was actually a legitimate idea of, of where to set up the different kitchens and how to set, you know, how to stage the servers. And, uh, Someone told, you know, they told me, no, no, no. And then this is how we're going to do it. And it, it didn't backfire on anybody, but it was definitely better the way that they were doing it. Do you remember why it was better? Yeah, because they had done it that way before. And it wasn't necessarily that they, it wasn't necessarily that there was not a better way to do it. It's just, they've done it before. And each year consecutively, it got faster and faster and more efficient. Yeah. And I don't know if you want to, like, I mean, do you really want to try something new with 17 17- was it hundred or thousand? Seventeen hundred. Seven. Yeah, but, yeah, but it was a, it was not a it was not a buffet. It was seventeen hundred yeah. person seated event. You don't want to be trying new things out. I did, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, there is something to say like in a, a, a tested, tried way. You know, like you, you know, there's security in that. Um, how would you, how did you know that your way wouldn't wouldn't have been better? Because I watched it happen, oh. and I was like, wow, that shit is tight. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it was like. It was like eight minutes, you know, less than eight minutes. We served 1,700 plates of food. So you learned to kind of find a balance between knowing when to, to give up and to kind of lean on the, the, the experience of those around you. Um, any other key lessons during this time at the Patina Group? Yeah, I learned. I mean, at the Patina Group, I learned that, you know, if you want to get ahead 
I, I learned more so that if you want to get ahead, you got to take a step back. Ooh, get into this. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I had to leave. I left the Patina Group in order to get promoted mm. back to them, right? So I left um, when I left Patina Group the first time. I was director of operations for them, overseeing multiple units. And I was, you know, there was a job open for a VP position and I wanted that job, right? I mean, my, my goal is to just continue to improve and continue to get better. It's not, it's not about the paycheck. It's about the responsibility and the ability to contribute to the organization. And so I wanted that job. I was passed over for that job when it was deservedly mine, not an ego thing. It was actually a lot of people said to me, you should have had that job. And, you know, sometimes in companies that you're with for a long time, you can get taken for granted. And that's something that I've, because of that, it's something that I'm very conscious of now as a leader uh, is to not take for granted my team and to make sure that they understand how much they're appreciated by me, whether that's through promotions, opportunity for learning, growth, et cetera. But so I ended up giving my notice. I ended up leaving and I left Patina Group. And when I was... I was basically, you know, coaxed back and recruited back in, in a VP role. Well, I think there's something to be learned here. I mean, like, first, knowing knowing that, like, you sometimes if you can't move up, you might have to take a, a pay cut to go someplace where there's more vertical growth for you so you can get the job you want, right? And it sounds like that's what you did. You, you left to go to the, uh, I want to say Chaya. I know that's not right. Is that right? Yeah, Chaya. Chaya, yeah. okay, yeah. So you, was there an opportunity for VP at Chaya Group that – yeah, I mean, I came in in that role. Okay. But, but it was not, I mean, it was a much smaller company. So it was, again, that's where titles are not, titles are so honestly not important to me. Okay. Um, and they shouldn't be important to a lot of people. It's more about what you're doing than what they're calling you. Okay. So what but, were you But do- yeah, I mean, I was, it was, it was more, it was about more responsibility, more, more of the ability to make a decision and make an impact in the organization okay. rather than the title, right? So, the, so, so more of a strategic role versus a management role. Correct. Okay. So what did you learn about strategy in the industry at Chaya? Well, Chaya was a tough, Chaya was a, an interesting place to work. It was a great experience, but it was very, so Chaya is an old restaurant concept and they're not around anymore, um, but uh, they... They are, uh, you know, over 400-year-old Japanese company. Um, they, have a, they had a place called Hikagi Chaya in, uh, in Japan, which was like a bed and breakfast for weary travelers when they were on horseback. Okay. They brought that restaurant to Los Angeles, uh, you know, it's almost 30 years ago now at this point. I mean, they were around when Wolfgang started, okay. you know, when Thomas Keller was cooking at Checkers. You know, these, the Chaya was open. And... You know, they have a saying in Japanese, it's Nimawashi, which is the meetings about the meetings. There was a lot of that there. There was a lot of, we're going to have a meeting to I discuss this meeting. Dude, I love Me too. I mean, culture. It's a great. Lot of, all, most of all my tattoos are Japanese. Nice. So um, what, what did you learn about, I mean, how did this Japanese culture influence this, this approach to management influence you? Or is, am I putting too much emphasis? No, you're not. I, I mean, I learned, I, it was a lot of the, I learned more about uh, the Japanese culture than I did about restaurant business, but that also helped shape me as a leader. Okay. Because understanding there's a there's a patience and a meticulousness and a detail and a focus that exists in Japanese culture that doesn't exist in other cultures. And there are people, there are Americans that are detail oriented, of course. But as a culture, the Japanese are very meticulous, very detail oriented, and it's incredible to watch. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's just so many Japanese things. One that I love is, is well, there's Kayan, and then there's the other one that's like, when's the best time to plant a tree? 20 mm-hmm. years ago, when's the next best time? Like right now. Yeah. Uh, but what else? Next week. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's all stuff like that. I mean, all, all things like that about, about uh, 
spatial layouts in, in rooms and why they're Flow. important. And sometimes, sometimes it has to do with, you know, feng shui and just like it's a general feeling or it's good luck. But other times it's actually just it's just fucking efficient. Yeah. And it's right. And the yeah. way they set up a line, you know, learning you can learn, you know, you can turn you can turn a restaurant into a fast food restaurant by understanding how Japanese culture, you know, has line efficiency. I mean, everything has its place. There's a specific container for everything because it's the easiest to prep from or it's the easiest to pull from when you're going to cook. It just it's just impressive. Yeah, that, I mean, I think learn- that you're starting to tap into the, the Kaizen now, which is that idea of like constant gentle pressure, but with little changes over time. Mm-hmm. If there's a better way to do it, like always small integrate or inter what's the word? Uh, it's incremental. In- yes. Thank you. Incremental changes over time compound. Yeah. It's like the bonsai tree, yeah. right? You're when you're, when you're, when you're carving the bonsai tree, you make little clippings, little changes. You bend a branch this way, bend a branch that way. And over time it shapes a different f- a form of the tree. Yeah. I love it's that. awesome. So how did they set you up? Cause you, you, you eventually got hired back or, you know, re- recruited back to a uh, patina group, correct? Yes. Um, so how did they set you up for success with the patina group? Well, they, came, they, they, they reached out to me many times in the time I was gone, which was great and made me feel good. But I also didn't want to leave a, a job I took. It was, I, didn't, I didn't take the job just to prove a point to Patina Group. I, I took the job to try something new and experience yeah. different things. And when it was the right time for me to make the move back, that's when I was like, okay, I'll come back. How did you know it was the right time? Because I, I had kind of... I realized that I wasn't going to get anything more out of Chaya other than the, the culture and the, and the efficiency and the vibe of the, you know, the Japanese environment mm-hmm. and they weren't growing as a brand. Okay. So there was no, you know, there was, there was just, you know, five restaurants and um, they weren't planning on opening anymore. So you're back at the patina group timestamp this for me. Uh, that was, that would be probably 2006. Okay. So about you, you came back. Maybe was 2000. Oh, maybe no. Hold on. Let me do your, Making me go back so far. Yeah, That's what I do. I like it. It would have been 2000 and, uh, 2007. Okay. Yeah, 2006, 2007. So this is still there. like uh, six years before coming back to the East Coast, mm-hmm. 2013-ish. Yeah. Um, and you, you, how many years thereafter did you stay at Patina before going with Tom Calicchio? Tom Calicchio. Uh, I was with Patina for another... Uh, two three years okay two or three so years, right yeah. around 2000 then i was with tom for about two years okay so yeah. reflecting back at this time where were you as a professional like what, what was your like what was your responsibility were you vp yeah i was vp of operations i oversaw the restaurants and the market cafe division so it was a big it was a big job um, okay. for me i was a i was a young person in that role um, which was probably new for them at the time uh and also new for me but um there was, you know, it was, I had just more responsibility and the, the ability to enact real change. I went through a couple of remodels with them and was able to kind of steer the ship on some design elements and working with the art and style department, working with the marketing department Okay. in a little more, you know, not a little more, a lot more hands-on instead okay. of just being kind of like a manager operator behind the yep. scenes. Like you go check on the restaurants and make sure they're doing okay. I got to be a part of some of the strategy, some Marketing, of the decision branding. making. Yeah, some of the decision making. Uh, even down to like what let's let's look at twenty different samples of China and pick the right one that's gonna fit this concept. I love that. So what were the key lessons they taught you? Anything like specific about marketing, about branding? I mean, I'm sure there's how do you choose, right? But like one thing that you think was this really significant that maybe 
most other people never learn in their career. I think, I mean, there's a lot. Yeah. Obviously, people spend their entire lives studying marketing and branding, but I, color is tremendously important. Mm. And that's something I learned there. Obviously, people know that color is important, but you don't always think about it. Okay. But color is color makes a, a vast difference on a lot of things. Okay, so let's speed, let's speed up to your, your modern day, your current moment. Uh, you have, I'm colorblind. This looks like gray and like a green. See, told you, yeah, told you. So, what are those? What are those? Uh, what do those colors mean to you? What, what, why did you pick these colors? And we'll go back in time. To yeah. So, the meatball shop originally, when we opened in 2010, was uh, was you know very kind of vintagey grandma's living room. You know, yep. Edison bulbs, old pictures on the wall with old frames. You know, reclaimed wood, everything. Very kind of old vintagey classic feeling, and that worked at the time. And it's such a timeless look that people started copying that and putting that in their houses, actually. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, reclaimed wood desks and all that stuff became, you know, popular again. And so we went through that evolution. And then now this is this is pretty new for us at the Meatball Shop, only in the last like 18 months. But we went in a, in a just a more modern, newer direction to kind of bring some life back into the space. We didn't want to go too far away. You know, we're not a modern, we're not a modern nouveau, art nouveau concept, right? The meatball shop is, it's, it's comfort food. It's welcoming. It's inviting. It's cozy. So we wanted to find a color palette that was going to check those boxes of how can we feel a little modern and fresh, but still stay true to the brand as far as being comfortable and, yeah. and, and feeling like you're getting hug, a hug in the space. And I'm really excited about this topic right now, marketing, branding, because that's one of the things from the first time that I laid eyes on the Meatball Shop brand, you guys just have a really fun vibe. Uh, the the attention to detail, even just walking through that front door, your your door handle is a meat grinder. It's true. You know, so where did you learn this attention to detail? Well, I can't take credit for all that. So Mike, you know, the, the two guys that founded the meatball shop, uh, Michael Chernow and Daniel Holtzman, childhood best friends from when they were 16 years old. They were both delivery boys in the Upper East Side Candle Cafe, kind of grew up in this business as well, right? Mike and I worked together in our 20s at Be Our Guest, which okay. we talked about earlier, yep. which is kind of funny. So I've I known these guys for a long time. But they, you know, Dan was a back of house guy. He kind of took the path of the culinary and Mike took the path in the front of house. Mike had this uncanny ability to remember everyone's name and what they like to drink and what they like to eat. And Dan was an incredibly talented chef, traveled around the country, working at a lot of restaurants, you know, stodged at La Bernadette, worked at SPQR in San Francisco, you know, top restaurants. They always remained in touch, obviously. And they wanted to open, Mike wanted to open a restaurant and told Dan to come back from California. And Dan's like, no, you don't even have a, you don't <laughs> even have an idea. What do you want me to come back? With? You know, and I don't, I don't, I don't tell the story as well as they do. They, they tell the story really well, but basically their idea was not, it wasn't the meatball shop at first. It was just, they both worked at restaurants and, and this is why I was also drawn to the brand in general, but they worked at restaurants where, you know, there was all these rules and restrictions and thing, you know, procedures and policies that you had to follow. And I'm, I'm not talking about like no sexual harassment. I'm not talking about the policies that should exist. I'm talking about like, why do service workers need to come through the back door, you know, in restaurants? Like, why do they, why is there a separate bathroom for the kitchen? Yeah. Um, why do I have to wear this penguin suit, black pants, white button down shirt, black vest, black shoes, you know, there were all these questions. That they, so they wanted to open a restaurant that was not that. They basically took a piece of paper and 
they said all the things that they like about the restaurants mm. and all the things that they don't like about the restaurants and that, that, they, that they worked at. And they started making this list. And so, you know, just to give you an example, Dan, Dan was like, I don't like that we have to use the service entrance. So they're like, fine. Everybody comes through the front door. Mike was like, I don't like that we have to wear this penguin suit to work. And they're like, fine, no uniforms. Um, and that's kind of how it started, right? Getting rid of all the water cooler complaints. Mm-hmm. And most important, though, they wanted a restaurant where their friends could come hang out. Yeah. And they had worked in restaurants that were kind of maybe a little expensive, you know, couldn't like sit at the bar and shoot the shit for a long time because they needed that table back, you yeah. know. And they wanted a place where friends could come in multiple times a week and hang out and it wasn't expensive, but still serving great food. And so that that's basically how it started. And then from there, it became the meatball shop because they're like, people always ask, where's the best pizza? Where's the best bagels? Where's the best this, right? And whenever you asked where are the best meatballs, nobody had an answer. Yeah. You know, Eric's like, oh, there's a pizza place on the corner that makes the best meatballs. Oh, there's an Italian restaurant in my neighborhood to make the best meatballs. There was no definitive, like, the best pizza is Defara's. The best, you know, yeah. X, the best bagels is H&H, right? There was no, and they're like, we should do meatballs. Well, that's kind of how it started. And then they said, well, we're, if we're going to make meatballs, we're going to make it the best we can. And yep. so that ties into, like, our sourcing and all that stuff. If so you this is around 2010, that, right? Yeah. So this is 2010. But that's you're, them. I was not, still in California. I'm in California still. You don't come back to the north, the, back east until 2013. Permanently. But I but I came to New York to eat at the meatball shop okay. in 2010. Yeah. And, I mean, we can kind of talk about it because, I mean, if we're following a timeline, you know, and this is the same time, so it makes sense to be talking about this now. What I, I want to reflect on what you share with us, because I think it's worth kind of highlighting a few things that comes up a lot on the show. And I've noticed that there's definitely a correlation between people who create restaurants that are an extension of who they are. Mm-hmm. And when it when you sh- when you build something that is an extension of who you are, and everybody who's listening to this is going to say he's going to say it's a, it's so much easier to show up to that because it's 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 you you know and you don't have to put the face on you're going to have the endurance you need to, to 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 make it I feel like plus it's just it's just real you know like you don't it's hard to put a face on constantly versus just being you and I think that that, that yeah. authenticity people can smell it they can feel it they can taste it. Yeah, everybody, you know, this business in general is about putting on faces, yeah. right? I mean, you, you can have a shitty day and, you know, I mean, right now in the midst of COVID, it's different. But in normal circumstances, you can have a shitty day. But when you go into the restaurant, you have to smile mm-hmm. and, and put on a face for the guests because they don't care about your shitty day. Um, and so it's, it, it, it is always about that in this business. But if you can do something that you love and you can make it more about you, you're putting on less of a face less often. Yeah, you're going to you're going to ha- yeah, cuz you're going to have less shitty days, Correct. right? Um the other huge thing that I think I don't know if it was intentional or intuitive, but they I don't know if they knew what a unique selling proposition was at this time, but they said what can we do that nobody else has owned yet? That we can just do this one thing really well. And I I don't know what their full menu was or what your full menu is. I could probably just look over what the full menu is. But like meatballs. It's just meatballs, no. right? No, no, I mean that's the core of the menu is meatballs, and we do. I mean, so then, what was the what was the the the, the entire menu? Red sauce Italian, right? Okay. It was in the in there 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 were always other things on the menu besides just meatballs, but the meatballs are at the core. It, it was more about build the menu the way you want to eat. So if you wanted spaghetti and meatballs, you could get that. If you want your meatballs naked with just the balls and sauce, you could do that. If you want it over polenta, you can do that. If you want it with veggies, you could do that. So it was kind of like a build Center your piece. own. Yeah, the centerpiece was the meatball, but it's the way you want it. You want it on a sandwich, you want it in a bowl, you want it on a salad, 
you know, that's that's kind of the emphasis of the business of the business. And again, this is usually where my my de- my, my research serves me to find out exactly the, what the approach was. But again, it's it's finding one thing that you can tie to your unique selling proposition. If you want fill in the blank, this is where you go. You own that niche, right? Yep. And then it sounds like you could also do a lot of things with just one thing, and you could get the you could you could kind of stretch your menu, keeping it simple, um, and do a lot with a little. You can, but you know, at the same time, there's not a lot of, if you think about it, and I know you probably know more than I do, because uh, you're just traveling around the country talking to all these restaurant that's folks. That's not but, true, but I mean, yeah, that is true, but, but I do not know more than you. But <laughs> I'm the, still learning the, every day. The, um, you know, it's, there's not a lot of restaurants that are full service sit down restaurants that are single menu item focused restaurants, mm-hmm. right? Most of those single item, right? Whether it's Taco Bell, Chipotle, sweet green, you know, salad, whatever the concept is, most of those are QSRs. Most of those are quick service. And so the meatball shop wasn't intended to be a full service restaurant at first. Okay. It was intended to be a quick service. Basically order at the counter, pay, take a table number, sit down. We'll bring you your food when it's ready. We didn't have, we didn't even have a liquor license when we opened the meatball shop. They pulled down the paper that was up in the window said, one of them said, this is going to be a fucking disaster. Nobody's going to show up. The other one said, stop with this pouty face. It's going to be fucking epic. They ripped down the paper. There was 400, 500 people online around the around two, multiple blocks waiting to get in. Within the first day or two, they, people didn't want to leave. They wanted to hang out there. And so they literally, they took the person who was the cashier. They turned the POS computer around, pulled her from behind the counter and said, you're now a server. You're no longer a counter person. Oh man. And that's what happened. And so then they just started, it started as a full service restaurant, got the liquor license like five months later. And that's kind of how the meatball shop was born. But the whole thing was bootstrapped. I mean, this wasn't like a go out and raise venture capital money. I mean, Mike and Dan built the restaurant. They built the first restaurant with their bare hands. We have pictures of it. I love it, man. Laying the wood, the foundation, the framing and all that. Yeah. So, during this time, 2010, what are you doing back in, in the West Coast? So I'm at I'm I'm at Craft, I think, at that point. Okay. I'm in the middle of well, I'm in the middle of having a baby. Okay. Building a house and changing jobs. Okay. No, nothing nothing unusual. I think this is a good time to take our first break to thank our sponsor. I'm pretty sure we haven't done that yet, right? So we have not. We should definitely we're 45 do that. minutes in. Our sponsor is come on. I'm sorry, guys. I'm, I'm I just don't know. I usually have a plan to put together, so I think now is a good time while I pull my interface off the table to thank our sponsors will be right back bbot is the next generation of point of sale that's because it's mobile in your pocket fast and it's so easy for your guests to use here's how it works using near field communication or qr technology the guest touches their phone to the location marker which automatically pulls up your menu then the guest selects their order pays and tips all directly from their phone the order gets shot to the kitchen or bar it's that simple and one of the things i love about bbot is that it makes the ordering process process so much more efficient meaning your guest will get more time with the server which means they'll be happier which means your servers are going to get better tips which means everybody wins you win your guests win and your servers win not to mention it's contactless it's branded to your restaurant there's zero commission fees you can use this technology through takeout delivery and dine-in and it integrates with your pos bbot the contactless order and pay solution powering the future of hospitality 
Audi. To learn more, go to www.bbot.menu slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, you'll get your first three months free. That's www.bbot.menu slash unstoppable. We are back and um, you're out in the West Coast. You're working for Kraft at this point. Ain't like we don't have to spend a lot of time here, but like if, if it's if there's anything worth bringing to the conversation that was transformative for you, that is key to your story before coming back to the East Coast to join forces with the meatball shop, lay it on us. Yeah, the mo- the, the most important thing I learned from from working with Tom and and the team at Kraft was uh, integrity of product. Okay. So not that I didn't understand or appreciate that before, I certainly did. Yeah. But I really understood it because working directly with a chef owner that was active in the business, right, was about sourcing, foraging, knowing the relationships between where your food is coming from. Yeah. And that's a, that was a big piece of the craft philosophy. It has been a philosophy of Tom's for a long time, something I always respected when back in the day when he was with Danny Meyer at Gramercy Tavern. Tom's always been true to the products that he uses and very, very supportive of the farms yeah. and the, the growers. And this is right around that time where the movement of less is more was really popping off. It's not about what you can do to the product. It's about where you can, like you're saying, source it from and just let it be, let, let the product talk for itself. Yeah, um, that was a big time for that in general. Like yeah. around 2010 was like farm to table exactly. movement yeah, and yeah, all that stuff. Sure. But Which Tom is, was doing that before, right? Yes. That was like his thing before that. So, so I mean, I think we got to talk about Tom Colicchio. How, how close were you with Tom as far as mentor, mentee? Were you shoulder to shoulder? Was it once a month? Like how close did you work with him? Sometimes. I mean, I talked to Tom very often on the phone. I mean, he was based here in New York. That was there was a craft in L.A., but we opened, you know, I opened a couple of them with him um, opened in Atlanta, one in Foxwoods in Connecticut at the casino craft steak. Uh, we, so definitely spent time with Tom for sure. But he wasn't living in L.A. at the time. So I was kind of like his consigliere for L.A. Yeah. Um, and but he would come out there often. He liked visiting, obviously, L.A. and had a lot of friends out there. So I talked to him all the time. How did he influence you as a restaurateur? He's just he's just the man. I mean, I've just always been a fan of Tom. Yeah. I mean, and why is he the man? He's just real honest and he's he's genuine and he's true and he's really fucking talented. Mm-hmm. You know, so all those things kind of we talked earlier about passion and if you have passion in what you're doing, you you're never going to work a day in your life. Tom's passion. He's passionate about cooking. He's passionate about products, passionate about food. I mean, he. I mean, you see, you see it now. He's really vocal in the restaurants act and all the care stuff with Congress and you know petitioning our government. And he's he's super active in that. And it's not, you know, he has a bigger platform now because of the success he's had in mainstream media. But that Tom's always been like that, mm-hmm. right? Before his mainstream media success, that was who he he would have done that anyway. Maybe he just didn't have the same platform. So, you know, he just. I don't know that he necessarily taught me anything specific and tangible that I could take away as a moment in time. It was more about the the respect for the industry and the the, the way to treat your vendors. Okay, and if that makes sense. So he, and, so he did influence you in the sense of some of the values he had. Yeah, yeah. Uh, specifically, relationship. A lot of those values. Yeah, a lot of those values come from also come from Danny mm-hmm. Danny Meyer, right? Yeah. Which is where Tom was a chef and. You know, Danny has this whole world of enlightened hospitality and, yep. you know, the four pillars of how you treat your, you know, take care of your employees first, 
take care of your you know they'll take care of your guests i mean profit is last on that list yeah. and and i mean i've followed that philosophy for a long time and a lot of a lot of restaurateurs have but you take care of those other things the profit comes just at the to, end yeah it just happens yeah. yeah and i think it's 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 uh employees guests community vendors vendor investors i think is the yeah. the order mm-hmm. and uh that's huge too so all right where do when does it make where do you want to take it do we is there anything else dissecting before coming back to the east coast and why were you coming back to the East Coast? Were you coming back intentionally to partner up with the meatball shop? No, I actually came back. No, that's a good, that's another pivot. So that's another pivot for me personally, not okay. really meatball shop. So part, I had reached a point in my career where I was like, okay, I've, I've kind of reached this, this, not, not pinnacle is not the right word, but I've reached an executive level of a job, Right. And now for me, talking about continually wanting to grow and learn and develop, I, I wasn't sure if I was just a restaurant guy. You know, are you a rest? Can I, can I take what I've learned in the restaurant business and parlay that into another industry or another field? So I was actually recruited in 2013 to work for a boutique fitness company. Okay. Which is like, whoa, crazy. Restaurant Unstoppable. No, not restaurants anymore. <laughs> right. But that's a Boutique really, fitness. I think there's a lot that we, like the, the restaurant industry is so grueling. It's so attention to detail. It's so relationship focused. It's, it's so human that I think that we, we spit out really incredible individual professionals uh, that the skills that you learn in this industry are so cross utilized and so, you know, just th- they can be applied in any vertical. Um, yeah, especially in a business that's, high touch customer facing business. Yeah. Right. So, okay. So you, you, you landed this, uh, fitness boutique shop. Mm-hmm. Um, how long were you there? Uh, I was there for almost three years. So until like 2016. Yeah. Until recently, not too, too long ago. Yeah. At what point did you see this as an opportunity? How did this come across your radar? I mean, it was on your so radar. They, they recruited me. So okay. they were looking, which actually interestingly enough, but they were, they had the foresight to try to recruit from the restaurant business. Okay. And said, you know, our experience is very much similar to a restaurant, right? Which is there's a front desk, there's a check-in, there's a waiting room, right? It's that, that vibe of community that exists. Everyone goes into the, into the classroom. Everyone has their own seat or quote-unquote table. The chef comes out, a.k.a. instructor, teaches a class, serves a meal. Everybody gets up and leaves. You got to clean the room, flip the tables, change the, you know, change the towels, and you seat another seating. Very similar dynamic. And yeah. so they had the foresight to look for someone from the hospitality space to come in and join in a, in a, in a you know, kind of a chief operating officer, SVP, global operations role. And I thought it was, for me, it was more about, it wasn't so much about I need to work in the fitness industry. It was more about this could be interesting and challenging for me to see if I'm really, if the skills that I've learned in the restaurant business over the years really translate into leading any company for yeah. that matter and not just a hospitality not so, just a restaurant business. So you're there for three years. How did it translate? I mean it was crazy. It was an unbelievably amazing time. I joined Flywheel. We had thirteen, you know, Flywheel Sports, I don't think I said that, but okay. that was the name of the company. It was boutique cycling. And again, right? if you and like if you forgot anybody who's listening to this show, like I literally came from one interview to another interview and I'm here today and I give myself usually an hour. So thank you for being patient to you know yeah, of fill course. in the, the blanks for me. Um so yeah like how did how did this experience i mean yeah so fl- flywheel was a massive you know for me it was s- startup yeah raise the, raise money from private equity and from you know family office money like s- real money 
and uh, not not restaurant money, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, real venture capital money. And and I had never been exposed to that in the restaurant environment I was at before, right? It's different when you're in like a McDonald's or Chipotle in this world of like massive uh, loca- pe- people with large amounts of locations. But when I joined Flywheel, we had 13 locations around the country. When I left three years later, we had 34. Oh, wow. So that was a massive undertaking to grow the, the footprint of that business. And, you know, I kind of was able to lead the charge on that. So with, what did you learn about scale? Sorry, I cut you short. Finish yeah, no, uh, that's why that's why we're talking. Um, what did I learn about scale? I mean, the bigger you get, the harder it is to, you know, keep things the same. What what makes it harder? Well, it it's really where I mean, I, I've known this all along, but it's really where I honed in on um, on people. And it's the people that you hire that make the difference. And when you're able to operate the business remote or further away from your home base, you have to trust the people. You have to empower the people and the team to live your brand, live your ethos, respect it and deliver it and buy into it. Right. It's a little cult is not the word, but they need to feel like you've got their back and you're on the same team and we're going to do this together. But I need you to do it like pretty much 100% because I'm not there. You know, I'm not in Charlotte, North Carolina every day. Yeah. So how do you how do you know that they're the same as you? What things do you no, do? You hire different? you don't hire for experience. You hire for passion and drive. You okay. hire you hire people that want to be there and want to learn and want to grow. And then you teach them. So in, in the in the fitness workout world, what specifically would you be looking for? Do you give us an example? Well, different. I mean, different roles for different right ex- ex- stuff. But I mean, I didn't. I didn't hire the instructors. The okay. instructors was a different monster. That's like hiring. You know, not that I never hired chefs, of course, but that's like hiring the you know corporate executive chef for a large company. So the instructors were hired by senior master instructors, okay. and and our, one of our founders who was instructor, the main you know pivotal role. But when you're hiring for studio managers and you know, multi-unit regional managers, because when you, you know, you populate three or four in the Atlanta area, you need a regional manager or local director of operations for that. Very much like a restaurant. And, you know, you, you're looking for someone that's passionate about the brand, that's excited about fitness, that wants to get, you know, into the, wants to build a community mm-hmm. because, you know, again, very much like a restaurant business, boutique fitness thrives off the community. It thrives off the quote unquote Energy, regulars. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, when people are loyal to a brand, a community gets loyal to a brand, you, you, you can do amazing things because it's the power of many instead of the power of one. So you don't have to fight upstream every time you want to get something accomplished when you have an entire community behind you. So, okay, you identified that it's a lot to do with hiring the right people that are aligned with the passion, the, 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 the purpose, the, the interests of your brand. Um, what other other things you're doing aside from hiring to make sure that that culture has legs, that that culture can move laterally across a, a big yeah. Know, so train, training and development obviously is okay. a massive one. Making sure that you're constantly you know giving people the tools to do their job. Right? If you if you can't you know if something's broken, you got to get help get it fixed because if they start to work in an environment where stuff's broken or shit doesn't work, right? They start to lose motivation. So you have to show the you know, the way that you can show them that you care is by making sure that they have the tools to do their job properly. Um, obviously, that's a big one. This, you know, the other one is, is communication. And we, we touched on that a little bit early on. But, you know, communication is key in all of this. They need to feel like you've got their back, even if you're 3,000 miles away. And they need to know that they could pick up the phone and call you 
um, just ask you a question and you're going to call them to ask them how their day was. I mean, it's about, it's about building a family and building a community rather than just building a group of managers. So how do you create, do you create system? How do you make sure that communication is happening? How do you open those channels of communication? How do you open those channels of communication and keep them open and encourage people to use them? Yep. You, you have to set some guidelines and some rules and then you have to hold true to those. So for example, if we would do a, you know, we would do a Thursday touch base with all the managers around the country and all of them would get on the phone. And you know, th- that has to be something that no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what's going on in this one area of the country, you have all these other people that are relying on that one or two hours on Thursday to get your attention or to bend the ear of another manager in another market and so you have to hold the, you have to hold those on a regular basis. You have to keep consistent to your word. Was there structure to those those meetings? Of course. What did that look like? Yeah. What was the structure? Um, I mean, you would talk about basically you do an update by region. You know, uh, performance metrics. You know, talk about capacity of classes. You know, adding classes to the schedule. What you know, we, we'd look at uh, true metrics. You know, how busy a region was versus last week. Uh, we talk about and then a big one we would focus on was, you know, which I think you'll, you'll like and your, your listeners will like was uh, focus, hope and fear. We would go around the country and everyone, you know, every every manager had to focus on uh, or talk about what they were going to be focusing on for that week, what they were hopeful for for that week and what they were fearful for for that week. What's they the point all had to say that. What's the point of this? Gives them a gives them a, 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 a North Star to kind of to kind of look at internally and externally. Right. So what are you focused on? If I asked you, what are you focused on for this week? If you list 20 things to me, well, I'm going to tell you that you're going to be unsuccessful at all 20 of them. If you tell me that your focus this week is on these three things, I'd say you got a shot to get those done. So, you know, kind of steering their focus and energy into a more compact uh, direction. So what's happening here is you're creating routine. You're creating, again, another great lesson from our our friend uh, Mario Del Piero. Uh, any culture across the world, and I'm not talking about necessarily organizations or businesses. I'm talking about culture, this omnipresent thing that's around us, whether we want it to be around us or not. It's here. We have, we all have culture. Um, There's language and there's routine, there's rituals. Mm -hmm. And what you have to do is you have to create those rituals, these habits, these things that happen every day in the language, focus, hope, fear. These are things that like you embed and interweave into your business that it becomes just, it's not even, you don't even think about it, but what you're forcing is intentionality. You're mm-hmm. forcing people to be focused on something, to, tack, to, to, to not just show up, but to show up with purpose. Yeah. And then you, you're forcing them to think, what am I hopeful? Where's the opportunity? Right? What am, what am, where is the threat? You mm-hmm. know, it's, a, it's essentially um, it's a, a, SWOT, a analysis. SWOT analysis. Correct. A but it's not. Weekly, yeah. Correct. It's a, that's exactly what it is, yeah. but it's a, it's a cultural SWOT analysis, exactly. right? It's a sense. It's a, it's a personalized I'm listening to you and I want you to talk to me SWOT analysis yeah. rather than like, let's just put this opportunities and threats on a piece of paper on a whiteboard. But you have to will these things. They won't just happen. You have to. No, you have to push for them and exactly. you have to, you have to start often. Yes. Right. So when I started, when I, when I, I remember when we first started these meetings, everyone was like, Ugh. you know, but then like four months go by and you forget to say, you know, you, 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 you start to close the meeting without doing that. And then, you know, they're like chiming in being like, what about our focus, hope and fear? Yeah. They start wanting it more and more. So yeah. it, it, it just works. I yeah. Mean, and whenever I use the acronyms, um, just in case somebody's not familiar, SWOT analysis stands for strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. So you're forcing people to do a self evaluation regularly and you're interweaving it into a routine, a ritual to, to make sure it's always happening. And also in the group, it, it's also a key part of that. It's in the group community setting, right? So 
a manager in, in Florida can hear what some of the challenges are of a manager in Seattle. They're, they're speaking the same language. Correct. It's, but they're different experiences. I mean, we have the same thing here now at the meatball shop. We have a different, there are different sets of challenges and opportunities at this store in Hell's Kitchen versus the one in Chelsea versus the one in Brooklyn. And so having these dialogues with each other internally is helps all of them. Yeah. I'm kind of grinning over here because I'm looking at the time. It's an hour. We're like an hour and two minutes into this sucker. We haven't even gotten to the point where you are here in New York at the meatball shop. So was it be fast? Everybody knows the meatball shop. Yeah. <laughs> um, so every time some, we have like wires running across the floor right now. So every time somebody walks by, I'm like paranoid that someone's going to hurt themselves. Um, so train of thought, Eric. Okay. What happens from this, um, uh, fitness, um, what was it called again? The boutique, the fitness, the, you mentioned flywheel. Flywheel, thank you. Yeah. Why, why did you leave? What brought you back to the restaurant industry? Um, it wasn't so much of, it wasn't so much that I left flywheel to go to the meatball shop or to go to the restaurant business. It was more, um, there were some changes happening at flywheel. A lot of us ended up leaving at the same time. There was new investment and there was a change in the direction of the business. And so it didn't, it didn't work out for a lot of people. And a lot of people didn't, you know, we talked about culture and that was, that kind of was gone. Okay. And that was a big driving force about the brand when they start, when we started it and when we were growing, it was all about culture. It was all about the team. It was all about the people. And that was like kind of getting left to the side a little bit and a lot of us left at that time um and it was pretty much around that time that i had been talking with dan and mike here at the meatball shop and they were just needing they were looking for someone to help kind of steer the ship they're two like kind of entrepreneurial founders and they needed you know a third member of the three amigos or the three stooges depending on who you talk to but they were kind of looking for their mo if that makes any sense, you yeah. got Larry and Curly and they need Mo and Moe's not brighter than any of the other two of them. He just, for some reason is in the position of authority. But, um, yeah, I, I was a big fan of the brand from the, from the day they opened it. I was living in Southern California at the time, as, as you know, uh, but I came here in 2010 and I ate at the meatball shop and I was blown away. Um, and their, their culture and values and, and the ethos that they built this business on were, were things that I believed and I, kind of grew up using and respecting and understanding and appreciating. So it was, it was kind of a no brainer for me. I was like, fuck yeah, I'll join you guys. Let's do this. Okay. So paint the picture of where, so now they opened in 2010, you kind of painted the picture of what it was in 2010, what they were going for. How had they evolved up to 2016? Paint that picture of where they had taken this thing before you had come on board. So they, they, they hadn't really, t- I mean, they opened a bunch of locations, right? Yeah. Obviously. How many uh, locations did they get to? Five. Okay. Yeah. Um, and they, you know, they, they, the, the difference was that the restaurant didn't evolve enough in the six years. Not that it needed to change drastically, but there was no real kind of, um, What's the right word that I'm looking for? Innovation. Like they had innovation with like different kinds of meatballs and different recipes and things like that. And that existed. But the color palette, the artwork, the the menu, the layout, the framework, you know, those kind of things were, were the same for six years. And even the restaurants that have been around 20, 30 years, 
they're not the same that they were 20 years ago. They've evolved. They've changed, whether it's the decor, whether it's the chairs. I mean, you hear about these the finest restaurants in the country that close for two weeks. They're doing a remodel. Yeah, there's. You I know, think I've, I've heard it. The, the, the magic number is every five years you need to refresh in is what I've heard. Like that, that's a term. And it's like, and there's people, the, the, the best of the best, they, they put aside a refreshing, but like a refreshing, yeah, you need budget. a CapEx budget. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, so like whatever it is, 2% of, of total gross goes towards this bank account where you're going to drop you in know, five years, like yep. a big chunk of money on mm-hmm. keeping it fresh. Yeah. So when you came, so they're at about that five to six year mark now when you come back and they hadn't freshened it up, they hadn't, they didn't have that foresight yet. Correct. Okay. So, they're at five locations. It's still the kind of the same menu, the same brand. You come on, um, kind of get into one thing I love, like I really like to talk about, especially when it comes to partnerships, is lanes. You already kind of identified that Michael's Lane was more friend of the house, EQ, emotional intelligence, knowing people, mm-hmm. uh, being in the face, the the, the you know that that, that that FOH presence, and then Danny was more the back of the house, chef, technique, lanes. Mm-hmm. Fill fill that in a little bit more for me. What lanes they were in before you got here. Yeah, those. I mean, you hit you hit the nail on the head. Those okay. those were the lanes that they sat in. But you know, like any partnership, and especially one with best friends, you know, those lanes sometimes get blurred. Mm. Um, who's the ultimate person that's going to make the final decision? You know, their co their co partners. The, yeah. So they didn't they didn't they they hadn't taken the time to really commit to like an organizational chart and say I'm responsible for these things and you're responsible for these. things. Correct. I mean, they did, okay. but it was also tough to. You know, they both were very passionate about this business. It yeah. was, it was, this is their baby. Okay. So, you know, when it comes to a decision on, you know, you know, they, they of course had their lanes, but it's hard when you're, when you're asking, when you're, when you're needing to make a decision that's not really front of house related and not really back of house related, who's going to make that decision? And th- this is kind of what I'm getting at. It sounds like they recognized that they needed that third leg. Correct. Um, well, they realized it a little bit late. Okay. Because they had already had some inroads and some disagreements that were causing that was causing a disruption in the business, okay. right? And that's kind of what I walked into, you know, not in a negative way by yeah. any means, but it it certainly was not 2010. Yeah. And they were not honeymoon's over. Yeah, they the, hun, <laughs> the, the honeymoon had ended. Yeah. And you know, the staff knew that the honeymoon had ended. Yeah. And when you get to that, then you risk culture. Yeah. And you risk vibe and you risk energy. And when you don't know who's in charge and you don't know who to listen to and mom says one thing and dad says the other, what do I do? Yeah. And you're just a little kid in the corner that okay. doesn't know the answer. I'm excited to start going into this because I feel like and, and side note preface. The point of this isn't to expose right or wrong, this or that, who did what. It's just to learn from other people's experiences so we can share this knowledge so other people don't make the same mistakes. So when you came into the situation... Do not go into business with your best friend. I mean... It's very simple. Do you, do you really... Like, I, I, can I, it work out? Cause, cause, it can work out. Of course it can work out. But I think to your point, there needs to be pre-established lanes yeah. early on that are very, very clear. And it's okay to do that. I think you can go into business with your best friend. And this is not for me to decide. This is We're here to learn from you. But I, I, like you're saying, you have to communicate. You have to have response. You have to have, uh, what's the word? Um, no, there has to be. It's not just lanes, Eric. There has to be a boss. Uh, so, some, someone has to be the boss. It's so were not, you the boss? No, that now. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but when I, you I came am. on, was that the, yes. the point of having you there? Yes, yes. Okay. They hired me as, I mean, we joked about chief baller. You know, I'm, I'm the CEO of the meatball shop. I okay. am the chief executive officer. I am in charge of the entire company. Okay. I trump 
both Dan and Mike with decisions. So when, when you came on, and I really don't know what, what the, the, the intention of bringing you on was, and that's what we're here to figure out, but were they looking, did they, had they had enough? Were they looking to, uh, to other opportunities? Were they looking to pass the torch? Or what was no, 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 no. It wasn't, it wasn't so much as they had enough. It was, so much, it was more so of they, they, there was no clear delineation of who was going to be in charge. Okay, so what, you come, this is what we've identified as being the challenge. You come on scene, did you say this immediately did you know did you identify did they already know what the issue no, they was? already or? knew they okay. already knew what the issue was and okay. mike had taken a step back already from the business okay and so dan was dan was really the one running the business on a day-to-day basis and mike had stepped back and opened seymour's okay did they reach out to you and say hey like come be a part of this or, or like what, what did that conversation look like when they started wanting to bring you on yeah, it was, we need, a, we need to grow up and we need to have a professional, you know, little did they know. I mean, yeah, I'm, I maybe have experience, but I, I'm not that professional. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they, they, they recognize that they're, they're you know, they, they had raised some money from an investor who has uh, some good experience, uh, Sandy Bell, yep. who is the, for, he's the founder and former chairman of Ruby Tuesdays. I was going to say, I know that yeah, name. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, isn't that the, is it from Thomas Kelly? Probably, yeah. Be, yeah. yeah. That's where it came yes. Uh, yes. Sandy is an investor in, in, in Mexico as yeah. well, yeah. Okay. That uh, right. A bunch of other concepts as well. Um, he also owns Blackberry Farms in, in Tennessee okay. and Blackberry Mountain. But um, Sandy's been in this business for a long time. I mean, he started Ruby Tuesdays in the 70s yep. in Knoxville, Tennessee. Gotcha. I think Knoxville. Um, and ultimately grew to 900 and something stores, global. I mean, real legitimate restaurant operator. So was Sandy in the picture when you came on scene? Yeah, Sandy came. So basically what happened was Sandy bought a piece of Mike's position in the business. Okay. And Mike took Mike took a step back. Okay. Um, Mike was still on the board, still involved in the company, but not day-to-day anymore. Gotcha. Neither was Sandy. Okay. Dan was running the business. Mike and Sandy on the board, you know, they all talked, they all met on a regular basis. There's a couple of other investors, kinds of friends and family. Gotcha. And um, so... But when I came on board, Dan, Sandy, and Mike, I, I met with all of them and talked to all of them. And they just needed, they needed someone to kind of come in and, you know, gr- grow the company up a little bit. You know, okay. turn it into a, take it from a startup and kind of memorialize some of the kind of gold that they found here, the diamonds. Like, take some of that and really... Yes, and show it, like show, bring it to the forefront and show it and preserve it and figure out how to take that and feed it back into the team, back into the community, and then establish what we want to be when we grow up, right? Because we're still in the infancy stage of a brand, even though this brand's 10 years old, went through some rocky challenges. We're just, we're just at the start. Mm. I mean, it's not, this is not a, uh, this is not an old, tired, dated brand. It's 10 years old. I mean, people don't realize you started hearing about Chipotle. Years old now, almost. Yeah. yeah. 11, it'll be 11 years in, uh, what's today, the 4th? I think so. so yeah. February 9th. February, yeah. February 9th is when we open. Yeah. So almost, almost your birthday. Yeah. Very close. <laughs> <laughs> so take us through this process of what you're saying you had to do. How did you do it? I'm not done yet. I mean, that's, it what takes you, a long time. But yeah. we, yeah, I mean, we went through a bunch of stuff. I mean, we, we had to, you know, I had to, do an overhaul of the team. I mean, we had, there were a lot of inroads with the team because once some sided with this one and some sided with that one. And so we had, you know, a lot of HR issues early on. We had to straighten those out. There was a lot, you know, there was a lot of, um, 
mess with the books not not in a um not in a shady way just like not great bookkeeping practices as far as like you know it was two guys that started a business and you got to give them more credit than anything i mean it's yeah. incredible what they built but there was no there was no structure there so, was no the, the the rules were like there are no rules this 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 yeah I mean, there's a lot of fun to that, but that's not scalable because you need structure, no. you need system, you need processes. But you yeah. can still have fun, and you can still have fun with still having some processes. You don't. Everything doesn't need to be in a rule book, mm-hmm. right? You don't even have a. You don't have to have a guidebook for every decision that you make. Has to follow these rules, yeah. but you do need to have some frame of reference and some guide, some playbook to follow. Yeah, the best coaches in football, they still follow a playbook. You know, yes. there's still a. They might choose the play on page thirty-eight or page two. But they're still following some framework. Yeah. So let's take one of these elements and really go in and talk about the system that you chose or how to do it right. Not necessarily talk about what was wrong with it, but how to do it right, accounting. And what what did you change about like what processes and systems did you implement here that didn't exist to make it done right? Well, we started using real accounting software. Like what? That's one. We use Restaurant 365 now. Nice. We were using Compete. But I switched. We we were we used to compete when I started. I I got them on to compete. We have since switched to Restaurant Three Sixty Five. Huge fan of Restaurant Sixty Five. Past sponsors of the show, and I'm actually when this goes live, the workshop will have already aired. But tomorrow morning at ten a.m. after my five hour, I, I'm going to be on some really great rests tomorrow for this workshop. Um, we're doing a, a demo with. Um, provisions concepts out of Oklahoma City their director of technology and marketing is going to take us through the integration between restaurant 365 toast and chow now in their their app so cool. um, if you're listening to this there's that will be recorded go hang out on the network uh, you go, you'll be able to find that that recording in shop talk or sorry tech talk sorry a little shameless plug there um, so it's your you, show <laughs> so you give them a little bit of structure using implementing technology and you started with compete and now you're with restaurant 365. Yeah. So that, that's just one example. Another example is kind of the filing system and getting rid of paper and starting moving over to a, a cloud-based filing system for all of our, you know, whether it's training manuals, new hire paperwork, HR, you know, you don't need to, you know, you don't need to use every technology in the world, but there are some that make your job a lot easier. Yeah. So, what, what was the filing? Are you still using that, that system that you implemented in 2016 as far as paperwork? Like well, we use, Google, yeah, we use Google Drive okay. for everything, basically. It's our mail server. But we've, we've grown up and we use Harry now for um, source and hire HR. for HR. Yep. Um, we're on Restaurant 365. We do onboarding through Harry, yeah. Um, we, do, we don't do some of the other stuff with Harry, like time clock and all that, those things. But uh, we do source and hire and, and onboarding with Harry. Okay. Um, Restaurant 365 is another example. And then, you know, expanding, what else do we do? We expanded our delivery, you know, offerings and, you know, delivery is a massive business in New York and meatballs travel really well. Yep. And so I think they did a good job with, with delivery. Now we do a great job, changed okay. a lot of the take packaging. Us th- take us through that evolution of how you went from okay to good to great. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's a, it's a combination of things, but most important is, you know, lots of testing and making sure that the packaging you're choosing is keeping the food and the integrity of the food in the way you expect it to be delivered to the guest, right? Yep. If you want to have, you know, if you want someone to have the experience that they're having at your shop at home, you kind of have to make it look the same somewhat. So we spent months researching different, uh, to go packaging, things like that, uh, making sure the insulation's proper, you know, those kind of things. And then 
partnering with the right delivery platforms and networks, um, okay. not using all of them, right? Negotiating different deals with some of them. You know, some of them are very expensive. You know, charge a lot of commissions. I mean, and, get into the details. Uh, like, I don't. I mean, I don't know if you can or not. But uh, like, which which are of these third party platforms were you interested in, and how should we negotiate? Let's 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 give it to the man. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to. I think you have to understand that. You know, their their main job is to get you on their platform any way they can. And a lot of times, you're seeing problems with which they're voting on in New York, and it's a it's a big it's kind of a hot ticket item, but listing you on their site when you're not signed up with them, right? Mm. That was another that was a thing that happened years ago. There was a service in LA called YCook. This was before any of this even existed, but they would basically just have a, a, a website where you could order from any restaurant. Then they would pick up the phone and call the restaurant and order and then send someone to pick you up. So they these services still do that. They'll put a restaurant on the platform that's not actually on the platform. So there, there's a few that you want to be a part of. When we started, we started with just Caviar and Postmates. And they were kind of like focused on more, you know, high-end catering, larger, larger catering items, parties, 10, 12, office caterings, things like that. Seamless, which is Grubhub, you know, they were more geared towards kind of diner. And I'm talking about when they first started, geared more towards like diner and fast food and quick service and like get your food delivered in New York City, seamless. Now, you know, but they charge, you know, I mean, they were charging upwards of 30%. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the restaurant margins are, are, are terrible. I mean, you have, you have businesses in New York city and around the country, but you have businesses that are solely relying on their Grubhub seamless, uh, ordering platform. And without that, they would fail and they would close. And that's fucking scary. So you were negotiating lower rates. Yeah. Um, what percentage did you get? Were you able to get down to? I'm curious. We, (laughs) Five percent. Damn! How did yeah. you? What leverage did you have to do that? Meatball shop. You know, right. it helps to be the brand. It helps to have brand recognition. You know, we have sixty-six thousand followers on Instagram. We have so a you, brand. We have a brand that's the brand is much bigger than the business. So you're right using now. your influence because Grubhub knows or Seamless knows that if you're there, then everyone's gonna be like, "Well, the meatball shop is doing it." So you're kind of like you're you're an influencer. In a sense. At the time, yeah, I think yeah. now everybody's on it. Yeah. But but at the time, yeah, for sure. And I think number two is. You know, we we also don't have to we, we don't pay for search right on those platforms. So a lot of a lot of these restaurants will want to pay to advertise because they want to be at the top of the banner. Or they yeah. want to appear in the search of like Italian restaurants. Oh, this is the most popular because yeah, they pay we, the most. Yeah, yeah. We, exactly. We have the we fortunately have the luxury of having a big brand loyal brand following, and so people were searching for us and searching searching us out. So you know so when we finally came to Seamless, you know when we finally had the discussion with Seamless and Grubhub. It was like, you know, they, they were basically feeding it to us because they're like, look how much you're searched for on our platform. Because so they knew that if you could if they could get you on that platform, you're going to bring the consumers. The consumers are going to develop habits and then find other people. Correct. Yeah, of course. I mean, yeah. that's that is a smart model. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not a, it's not a dumb business model. What about did you ever charge more for those platforms to the consumer? We do charge more on delivery than in the restaurant. Okay. I mean, I, that's a that's a kind of a practice that most most people do or should do if they're not so you have a mirror menu in the back end that's tied to these third-party deliveries that's pulling from that third party so it's not tied to your in-house menu you no said- i mean all all of the third-party menus are there are some integrations that exist in the tech space but the problem is is 
And we can have a whole nother dialogue on that about how tech companies in the restaurant space are keeping their APIs so confidential that it's hard to integrate anything to anyone else, which makes it more difficult for everybody. What do you mean by APIs? Uh, I don't know actually what it means, but I, 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 I do. I'm just point, kidding. But, it's, but it's, it's basically like the back end system for one system to talk to another. Okay. So you would have like if you had a scheduling software platform like Hot Schedules or Schedule Fly or Seven Shifts and you wanted it to talk to your point of sale system, right? Some of them integrate, but a lot of them don't. And a reason a lot of them don't is because they're going to come up with their own proprietary scheduling software and they want you to use theirs. So why are they going to allow you to use a third party? And this exists in the space like crazy. Otherwise, why wouldn't why do, why are there no I mean again this can be another like 4 hour conversation but why is there why can't I get an order from postmates that then appears automatically in my POS system I can You can but they don't they no, can't through make a money third on that. party but I need to do it through a third party <laughs> so they get aggregate cut. company Yeah right which yeah. is what what are they doing screen reading or having someone just type in the orders into the new platform but they won't talk to each other why because Revel or Toast or Aloha or Micros won't open up their API to allow this person in to submit data through it because they want to keep that proprietary. It's it's a big shift that's going to happen in the tech space and the restaurant business and nobody's... There are people that are close and there are people that are doing it better, but there's no one that's there yet. Mm. And everybody wants to be the behemoth. Everyone wants to have all of it, right? They want to build a full system that does everything. We take care of your scheduling. We take care of this. Rather than just being the best at one thing, they want to be the best. They want to be average at everything. Is that an issue? I mean, there's workaround. I mean, it's a yeah. There's third party integrations that you know, kind of like Order Mark, which exists, which I think was started in L.A. But Chowley, Bebot. I mean, there's a there's a there's a bunch of them out there that are aggregators. But again, it's it's another. It's kind of a third party third party to get your systems just talking to each other. Yeah. When why 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 do you have to have another piece of technology? You know, you want. I feel like in the high touch customer facing business, like service industry, like restaurants, you know, technology needs to be a disruptor in the space as far as it's going to allow the experience to improve, not disrupt from the the user. Right. So right now, when you have, you know, I don't need my staff having like a seventh tablet that now like is the aggregator tablet of all this. And it, it just, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it, it, it's it, a nightmare. It gets a little clunky. Yeah, for the operator mm-hmm. to to play by the rules of the tech companies. Yeah, and they have you know then they also acquire each other, right? So, um, DoorDash bought Postmates, right? And I mean it's hard to keep track. And Uber Eats bought Caviar, but right now I have Caviar and Uber Eats tablet because yeah. they haven't made that integration yet, where you can just have one tablet. Hmm. So, man, it's anyway, that's package. another we'll do episode <laughs> one thousand yeah, four hundred and sixty. Welcome we'll, back. <laughs> if, if you ever want to have a tech talk, if you ever want to pull this. I mean, you're, you have an open invitation. I love the conversation. Uh, anything we have not discussed uh, about the evolution of the meatball shop since 2016, um, bring it to the surface. You know the company better than I do, obviously. I, I, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> but you're doing a good job with, Thank you. Uh, for, for no research. It's curiosity is amusing. It's a beautiful thing. Um, anything we didn't cover? No. I mean, I, we, we covered so much. I mean, I could talk to you for, for a long time. Good. Um, follow-up interview five years Let's yeah i think no i think it's just you know it doesn't matter where you are listening to this podcast i could do a shameless plug too but we're on gold belly which you yes, saw the i meant boxes. to bring that up yeah, yeah. um so was that a new so what is gold belly so gold belly is a uh, actually they very cool concept uh definitely took off with the covid world right um, but 
they basically take the best food from around the country. You know, you're thinking of the, uh, you know, you want the muffaletta sandwich from Central Grocers in New Orleans. Muffaletta you can get sandwich. it. Too. Oh, sorry. I just sorry. ordered one. Oh, my God. So good. It'll yeah. be here. I think it comes tomorrow. I think actually the way I've heard of it, it's like if you want if you want to taste home, but you're not home, you can get food from wherever you want. Or you traveled and you tried something like you can get food shipped to you for wherever you are. Yeah. So if you have, the, you know, it's or if you want to send food to a family member that loves that dish. Right. Yeah. So like you can send your family member in L.A. bagels from New York, which mm-hmm. you can't get a good you can't get the same bagels in California as you can in New York. Junior's cheesecake. Uh, you want. Uh, St. Louis, you know, Pappy Smokehouse ribs from St. Louis. You can't get, you know, now you can get on Gold Belly. Now, do you have to be, um, you know, a, a Hattie B's or a meatball shop or a fill in the blank thing that is known for this, you know, like. W- I think yes. I mean, I think yes to some degree, but because you want to have the traction, right? So, like, if you're, you know, if you start entering the world of ghost kitchens and this kind of stuff, I don't, I don't know that a, uh, you know, Eric, if you started a, a you know, cacciatore pie company and you started making these it's pies, gonna calzones, it's going to be calzones. Good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so if you if you made calzones, I don't know that I don't know that there is enough people around the country that are going to be like, dude, you've got to try cacciatore calzones yet. There will be a time. When that <laughs> well, maybe because you have you have this and, and but no, but you just answered your own question. There yeah. will be a time when that happens. That's true. And when that happens, you will be on gold belly. So, no. I don't think you need to be the most famous in the world. There's certainly, there's certainly brands on Gold Belly that I've never heard of, and I'm in the business. But a lot of them, people will have recognized from something. Yeah. You, I think it, it, there is that kind of, um, they, they are kind of writing that, uh, what's the word, like legacy brand. Uh, like yes. It's, 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 a, it's a taste of home. Yes. So you have to be kind of the staple for Boston cream pie. For that region. Like, Correct. Like lobster and, roll or like whatever yes. it is. Um, but it is a great tool to, to kind of, it's another, I think you have to earn the the right to get there. But if you have, I, I think they're usually pretty good at finding you too. They, they want your business if you're one of those brands. Gold Belly. Yeah, they've been coming after us for a long time and yeah. it worked out fortuitously timing that it was right around the pandemic, which was great. So uh, yeah, it's great. We, yeah. we like working with them and it's, uh, and we like being able to ship our balls around the country. <laughs> I'm such a child. Um, so Okay, so I we, tried to save that till the end, but there's a lot of ball jokes that happen. Dude, I cannot work here. No wonder why there was HR issues. Yeah. Um, so we still we still have the jokes. It's just not as HR. You know, yeah. I just fired HR. <laughs> just got rid of HR. All right. So I mean, I love what we unpackaged. I think there was a, a level of culture that we kind of you alluded to. There was issues with culture, and I was really curious about how you recovered that, with what approach you took. If we could kind of start. I, I don't want to pry too much, but I am curious because I think that is probably a common thread throughout the industry. We need to work on our culture. Split ups happen, you know, like what you described. Some people go with that side. Some people go with this side. And how did you how are you the glue that brought that back together? Well, I will add also that's important to know that Mike and Dan are close friends again. And that's important to know because they're close friends again because because of me. And it's not a that's not a you know, pompous, arrogant statement. If we weren't six feet apart, I'd pat you on the yeah. back right now. <laughs> it's not, that's not an arrogant statement. It's not, it's not, it's not intended to come off that way. It's more of when they didn't have to worry about their disagreements and which lanes they were staying in, they, they were able to remember their friendship that mm-hmm. started, you know, 25 years ago. Yeah. So, you know, the, really the most important thing with getting everyone back on track was, just having a consistent structure in place, right? A consistent, like we talked about focus, hope, and fear. 
you know, having a consistent framework of how we do everything, which then prompts people to have, you know, people find comfort in routines and this allows them to then, you know, speak up, have an opinion, contribute to the group, uh, formulate a thought, you know, and, and, and it lifts really, the fog. yeah, it lifts the fog. It's a great, it's yeah. a great way to put it, but yeah, it's, it's, it's about letting them feel empowered to have an opinion. Yeah. Cause that's how I felt when I was younger. I wanted to have an opinion so you, and just cause I'm 25 years old doesn't mean I don't have any good ideas. So you focused on the, the issues you corrected the issues that cleared the fog so you could focus yeah, took, on, I mean, we're still going, but yeah. yeah, it took, I mean, it takes a long time to do that, to yeah. rebuild, to kind of rebuild a broken culture. Yeah. Take some time. It, it, I would say it took, you know, I would say it took three, almost three years to mm-hmm. get to a place where, you know, we didn't have crazy turnover, yeah. you know, turnover was a real problem here for a long and, time. And a lot of people think of, of systems, processes, procedures, protocol operations as being the polar opposite of culture. But the, mm-hmm. the commonality between those two is that I think everybody wants that culture is a set of, you know, it's, it's a set of rituals and processes, the things that we do, social norms. And that's what your systems are. They're social norms for your culture. The things that we can all agree on that this is the right way. This is how it's supposed to be done. So we can get, so we can coexist. Right. Um, and it sounds like you kind of help kind of put that adulthood, that those, those boring things, the sloppy stuff that nobody likes to do back into the industry. So there was a right way. So there was an agree, something we could all agree on. So we could, and that will clear the fog that will give us, um, a sense of, we agree. This is us. This is the right way. And that's kind of what I'm hearing. Yeah. But in order to do that, I think the key is in order to do that, you have to kind of slide it in the back door somewhat. You can't oh, we just didn't use back doors here. I'm confused. <laughs> you, we, we don't just want to throw it in their face, right? You don't want to take like, this is how we're going to do things from now on. Yeah. This is the way we're having rules. We're having structure. No, because then that vibe goes away. So it's a balance of trying to keep that vibe, keep the individuality of the meatball shop while still setting up some rules and, and, and boundaries. So how do you slide it in the back door? Whoa. That's <laughs> Eric. We just met. Um, oh, that was my attempt. The, uh, <laughs> it was great. I'm just choosing not to lean into it. Cause I could totally have more fun. Okay. With that the, um, I think you, what you have to do is you have to, you have to package it and you have to package it in a way that, you know, not everybody necessarily jumps into a hundred percent, but you have to package it in a way where you get buy-in from enough people to influence the larger group. Okay. Right. I love it. So does that make sense? So you, you, you yeah. So it's, so it's not a dictatorship. It's a, no way. It's a meritocracy first of all, in, but so it's, it's also a meritocracy. You know, yeah. Like, you know, the answer, but you have to let people realize that help them think that they're help coming. They're part of getting there. I think so. I mean, we could ask, I mean, ask Ryan, why, Ryan ask Ryan why he likes working here. I don't know if he's, what he's going to say. This is totally unscripted, There's but Mike right here. You can come up. I don't mind. What? Why, do, why do you like working here? I'm, I'm a little nervous right now, but, um, no, it's, it's a, it's a fun place to work. Um, yeah, it's just, um, there's a big focus on hospitality and that's what I love to do. Um, serving people, being you know, being selfless, putting yes. the guests first. And my boss is a dick. That's and what he's going to. Yeah, say. Adam's the best boss in the world. <laughs> I did not pay him for that. Yeah, that's thank not... you, thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks, bud. <laughs> well, well done. Um, 
Okay, I think we can start to think about wrapping the conversation up, but I do want to get an idea of where you guys are headed in the future. Um, I don't want to really talk so much about how you adapted to COVID-19. If you haven't evolved to this point, you're probably not in business anymore. But what's your plan for the new normal, if you think there is one? I do think I do think there is one. Uh, we got a couple of things in the pipeline. First off, uh, we're doing a we're about to launch a pop up test in Boise, Idaho, nice. which is going to be super cool. It's kind of like not really market. not really a ghost kitchen, but it's kind of like a uh, they're handling everything, including the delivery. Right. So it's not you're not using third party apps through this ghost kitchen, but we're going to be doing a pop up there, hopefully by opening the end of this month, okay. which is going to be super cool. Yeah, Boise is a very cool market. I think just the that the 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 soul the 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 nation, you know, Oklahoma, Nebraska, the edge that edge and then the on the other side, the other edge of Idaho, um New Mexico, like the, in that era on the edge is there the that there's a lot of growth, there's a lot of explosion happening in those markets for yeah. sure. So we're excited. We're going to test we're going to test this uh this ghost kitchen type thing in in Boise at the end of this month. We're working on a we're working on a QSR version of the meatball shop, which is going to be super cool. Um, and that more grab and go kind of, you know, quick service. And then we got a couple of other locations that we're looking in market and out of market uh, for, for growing the meatball shop. There's a couple of markets that are prime for us to go into. And that's the plan. Nice. Um, where are you going to learn more about ghost kitchens? Uh, I mean, I talk to everybody I can uh, about them. I'm, I'm, I'm actually, in about a month's time, I'm speaking on a panel, uh, which is all about neighborhood. It's called. It's kind of the Neighborhood Kitchen Strategy Summit. Um, it'll, it's being put on by Momentum Events, but there's a bunch of people that are going to be speaking on it about ghost kitchens, cloud kitchens, central kitchens. Um, it's a very interesting space. I think there's a lot of opportunity in the space, but I also think it's a risky space, and I think people need to be careful. Um, Why? Well, because just you know, popping up a ghost kitchen concept is not the right idea for every brand um whether or not you have a brick or mortar brick and mortar or don't have one yet it's not necessarily the right or the wrong place i think just people have to do their research and their due diligence about what they're trying to get out of their brand what they want out of their business why should somebody use a ghost kitchen why should people use i don't know the answer to that yet if i'm being completely honest i I, i don't think there's an answer why you should or why you shouldn't i think it's specific to your brand so I think, you know, everybody probably says somewhat of the same thing, but there's a, there's a right opportunity and a wrong opportunity for a ghost kitchen. Is, is it, it could be a good opportunity to test a market that you're not in yet, right? So if we were, like, if the meatball shop wanted to potentially open a restaurant in Boston, yeah. just using it as an example, it could be interesting to go into a ghost kitchen, pump the market with delivery, you know, options, and then pop down a store there you know, in six months or a year, it could also be detrimental because people then consider it a delivery brand and it's not, you know, is that, is the vibe that you want to create in your freestanding brick and mortar space going to be detracted by this delivery model? I don't know the answer to that. I think it depends on the, I think it depends on the concept. I think it's different. You know, I would go, I would go right now, the meatball shop, I would go into a ghost kitchen in New York, in an area that we don't service right now from our delivery zones before I would open a ghost kitchen in Nashville. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I think you're right in the sense that the there's going to be kind of a hybrid. I don't think 
I don't think ghost kitchens are going anywhere, but I think it's going to be more. I think restaurants are going to look at this as another channel of revenue, and I think it's going to be a way to test markets. If, if say for example, you're a restaurant tour, and you want to instead of doing pop ups to test a market, you're going to do a Which ghost kitchen. Yeah. yeah, I think I think ghost kitchens are going to be the new pop up. You have an idea. You want to be if you if you want to be really good at one thing. And you think you do that one thing better than everybody else or that one thing is being underserved in the market, you can try to serve that that need, that niche. Your overhead is going to be as low as possible. You can use the assets you already have. Mm-hmm. You, all you got to do is get on 99designs or whatever and just develop a brand overnight and just slap a cool-looking brand on it. Get your re- like, <clears throat> Test your but recipes. You're also, you're also bringing up part of the problem with Ghost Kitchen, right? Is what is it? Oh, just every random person is going to think they could be in the restaurant business. Yeah. Which is which is a good thing and a bad thing, right? The good thing is is that it might drive some entrepreneurial spirit, some new exciting brands and concepts, and people get to have their grandma's recipe in this dish now that's now available. But also, maybe they don't know what they're doing. Yeah, but at the same time, I think I mean, this is one of my concerns about ghost kitchens are the the industry. Let's be honest with the the the, the exodus, the mass exodus of retail. We're already cannibalizing the industry. There's restaurants on every corner. There's mm-hmm. more restaurants than people can eat at. Yep. And now there's going to be restaurants. People are going to be have restaurants out of their apartments. Yep. You know. So like, what are we doing? Is a real question I have, um, and I don't know. Um, but I think it, it, it's going to force the bar to be raised or, ris- or raised. I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It'll be interesting. But it will be interesting. I think it'll be. There's a lot of cool stuff about it too. I think brands can try different concepts yeah. within their own umbrella. Like, so if you have a chef like. You know, if one of my chefs really has an amazing fried chicken recipe, it could be cool to utilize the the meatball shop's bandwidth and power and ability to build some infrastructure around this chef and let him try, you know, yeah. this concept in a ghost kitchen. And one of my, I think the industry has made a lot of progress in injecting soul back into the, and I think the meatball shop is a perfect example of this. Like people didn't want to be buttoned up anymore; they wanted mm-hmm. to be themselves. They were we started to inject soul back into the industry, and um, ghosts. I guess technically our souls, but like it's kind of soulless, you know, do we really want to undo all the progress we made by just like creating? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I hope that, you know, I hope concepts. that it doesn't, I hope that it doesn't turn into the Jetsons. I mean, we need to evolve, but it, you don't want to get to a place where there's no more restaurants that are physical brick and mortar places for you to go meet up with friends and hang out. And then every social interaction occurs at home. <laughs> yeah. I think the market will dictate otherwise because i think people were realizing the cool thing about the the world we live in is we're, we're learning more and more about the human element what what people need to be happy and that's relationships we need look at maslow's hierarchy of needs mm-hmm. right we need to be seen we need to be loved we need to feel like we're growing we need to know that we're like giving back to the community and there's a certain element of just like it's hard to to not it's hard to get those things and not be face to face shoulder to shoulder yeah we're in some type of tribal situation we're seeing it more now because of covid so i think the market is going to ask because all these things are food is going to be so accessible people are going to pay a little extra to have that intimacy that everybody majority of people are hungry for so there's that blanket of like I security. Agree. I think everybody's hungry for it more so now than ever because people just want to get out of their yeah. house and back to seeing friends. Dude, we gotta we gotta think about wrapping up this conversation. I'm Let's loving it I'm so done. much. Uh, uh, See you I, later. No, I do I do ask one question uh, before we go to the speed round. I've asked all my guests to kind of reinforce the speed the, round. The mission. Oh yeah, there's a speed round, brother. I forgot you don't really know. But what's I going didn't on do either. my research either. No, it's easy. You'll be great at it. So um, the mission statement again is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. Um, so what is 
you, or how have you transformed as a professional? How are you a better man today than when you first got started in this industry? I mean, there's so many ways. The most, uh, the most significant. Most significant. More empathy. Mm. That's the most significant, I would say. More empathetic. I'm a more empathetic leader, and I, I genuinely care about people. I love that. Yeah. Awesome. Great way to wrap this up. Uh, one more quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure your profitability and restaurant success. Trusted by over 400 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the tools you need to streamline labor operations, communicate with your team, and retain your talent. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system you already use and trust like toast turning labor into a competitive advantage for you and your business to get three months absolutely free head over to www.sevenshifts.com slash unstoppable that's the number seven s-h-i-f-t-s dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free get on it I started this podcast because I have a passion for serving people in the restaurant industry because they have a passion for bringing people together with the ultimate love language, their cooking. But with all that cooking comes great, giant, greasy piles of pots and pans, and we can't waste our valuable time with endless sink changeovers, so we must upgrade to Don Professional Pot and Pan. Don Professional Pot and Pan cleans 58% more pots and pans than the leading competitor, less dish soap, fewer changeovers, and more time doing what we love, bringing people together with the ultimate love language, food. Not to mention Procter & Gamble Professional also provides a wide range of disinfectants for your business needs. Get the cleaning disinfecting products you need and the peace of mind you deserve. Dot Professional, it's clean, upgraded. We're back. The first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Sense of humor. What is your biggest weakness? Sense of humor. What is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're growing your team? Will this uh, symbiotic relationship, will they get along with everybody else? I love that. Uh, what is your biggest challenge today? COVID-19. How are you overcoming it? Pivot. How are you pivoting? This is not on your list. No. You're making up these questions. Yeah. Uh, we're pivoting by adapting. I mean, it's pivot is the word of 2020 and it's carrying into 2021, but we're, we just need to adapt in any way possible, whatever that is. It's flipping a switch on a dime. It's opening. We're opening 25% on Valentine's day. That's insane. Did a whole episode dedicated to the pivot. There's a great book out there called pivot. Um, what is one uncommon standard of service you've teach or you teach your team? So something that's common within the four walls of your restaurants, but not common throughout the industry. When someone walks in the front door, you yell across the room, welcome. What is one uncommon uh, code of, of conduct or behavior, core value you teach your team? Respect. What is one book that's a must-read to make us a better person or restaurant owner? I mean, I have to go to the, I have to go to the classic is uh, set in the table. 
Danny Meyer. I already pulled some nuggets from that book, so I won't make you give us an example. Yeah. Uh, that book is on Audible. If you guys do not listen to audiobooks, I'm telling you, it's changed my life. I'm not just saying that to get Audible sales. Like, it's a game changer. Go to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable, and thank you for your support. What is one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? Evolve. Mm. What is one service you've outsourced to so this isn't a technology this is a group of people or a person that does something really well that you outsource to to accounting accounting and that is restaurant 365 no 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 they that's our system but we use a company based in denver and they are okra okra on call restaurant accounting and what is one technology you've adopted within your operation that's had a huge impact on communication profitability efficiency anything along those lines tough this is a tough speed round there's been so many uh you can I, drop a few on us man yeah i mean i think that uh very recently up and go pay which is a qr based payment processing so you could pay at the table um you know without with your phone qr okay. codes so that's like a new one that's been surprisingly well received by the community which is awesome what are you using for a pos uh, we use Aloha, okay, um, and we're testing a POS called to- uh, Union. You, okay, at, I've heard things uh, well. at the Chelsea shop right okay. now. Okay, so we're 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 liking it. Nice, interesting. Yeah. I'll love to hear more about that in the future. Maybe when we get you back on the show in five years. Yeah, or I'll suggest that you reach out to one of the guys at Union because they're cool. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, what is? Oh, this is the last question. See, I told you my memory is horrible. Um, what is? This is a doozy, by the way. So, like, really listen, pay Great. pay attention. And cut. <laughs> if you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy, what are they? This is only for the business, not for my kids? I like to say, imagine it, it is your kids you're talking to. And if you could impart three pieces of wisdom to them, what would, what would it be? Uh, whew, there's so many. And I don't know if it's going to be the new normal, but you should always look someone in the eyes when you shake their yes. hands. Uh, put down the toilet seat. Okay. I gotta, I'll have to be better about that. And, you know, I mean, it's a cheesy one, but I mean, treat people the way you want to be treated. It's a good one, though. Yeah, Honest. but I'm sure, people, I'm sure people say it, but yeah. it's, it's just that's, yeah, that's how you respect people. I have loved this conversation, Adam. We wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. That's how I found you multiple times. We finally made it happen. Uh, who do you respect and admire in this industry? And if they were on this show tomorrow, you'd be like, I got to listen to what they have to say. I got a few, but the one the one I'm going to call out is going to be Tom Dillon. Ooh, I, first time mentioned on the show. Who's Tom Dillon? Good. That's why I picked him. Uh, Tom is a, Tom was a mentor of mine. Tom is a, uh, was the, uh, chief operating officer at Patina group. Okay. Uh, and he is the co-founder and CEO of Apici. Okay. Which is a hospitality bespoke hospitality management consultancy group here in New York, but they do properties around the country. Tom's a really cool guy. He used to be, he used to be at Pret for many years. He was at Richard Sandoval restaurants for a long time. Rosa Mexicana CEO. Um, all around super smart guy. That was Tom. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. And how can we connect with you? 
you can reach me. Did I, you looked at me funny. It's Tom, right? He said it was. No, that's who. That's who I want you to meet. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, Tom. I, I thought I. Well, how I can we get in touch with Tom? No, how can we get in touch with you? Oh, if you we are re- interested. In well, you got to follow. You got to follow us on Instagram. It's at Meatballers. Obviously, that's the way. You can find me on LinkedIn, Adam Rosenbaum. Uh, I don't really. I'm not really on social myself as much because I do it all for the meatball shop. But I think I'm thinking about getting on TikTok. Yeah. What yeah. about um Clubhouse? I got some dance moves. Have you looked into Clubhouse at all? Are you no. interested in that? Should I try it? Oh, uh, man, it's crazy. I don't know if it's good for... Re- we haven't figured out how we're going to use it for restaurants yet or how to use it because it's, it's basically like free-form conversation. Like you get invited to a room and people just talk. And it's kind of That's cool. It is cool, but I don't know how restaurant... The application for the restaurant industry yet. It's great for like consulting and speeches and stuff like that. Uh, but TikTok is definitely worth looking into. I got I to gotta get on that. Yeah, I love it, man. This has been a great conversation. Uh, thank you so much, Adam. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thanks, bud. We'll cut it Have there. a good one. Thank you. You too. There we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to today's guest, Adam Rosenbaum. You crushed it. I loved it. Thank you so, so much. Uh, so we have a lot of cool things happening in Restaurant Unstoppable Network. If you guys enjoyed this episode, Adam agreed to join us live for some peer mentoring. So if you want to connect directly with Adam, here's what you got to do. Head over to the show notes, join the network, and then RSVP to this event uh, in the network. It's called Actually, we, we used to call these things uh, shop talk. I'm, I'm changing the name to live mentoring because that's really what it is in this podcast. Whole, this whole podcast is about mentoring. This, this show is a, a melting pot of mentors. And when you join the network, you can get live mentoring with my guests. So if you found value in today's show and you want to connect directly with Adam and ask him your questions, whether it's about his his story and his come up or if you think he can coach you and guide you in your own life, make sure you join the network. And that is going to be April 1st at 2 p.m. if you want to come hang out with us again there's a link in the show notes to join the network go to the events tab rsvp to this event and uh speaking of events um as i'm recording this it's like the i think it, today is the 11th of march so this episode goes this episode goes live on the 22nd of march so in a week and a half from when this episode goes live almost two weeks from when this episode goes live we're gonna be launching our first ever live courses in the network so if you want to be a part of these live courses if you want to learn about delivery building native delivery in your business then join us uh, on April 6th is the first course then we'll be having courses for eight weeks every Tuesday thereafter at 10 a.m. Eastern we're gonna be covering all things native delivery uh, live again with Scott Landers from figure eight consulting and then we're also going to be doing a live course on costing and profitability with uh, one of our most popular repeat guests on the show Rudy Mick Uh, that's going to be a six week long course beginning April I want to say 7th at 1 p.m. every week, every Wednesday at 1 p.m. beginning April 7th. Uh, these are going to be live courses. We're going to have our our instructors lecture live to us, and then there'll be a Q&A. I'm really excited about the future of Restaurant Unstoppable, and I want you guys to be a part of it. So again, head over to the show notes, find the link to join the network, and we'll see you over there. All right, that's it for today. Thank you so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.